That's funny. I was here yesterday and I just finished up in here for the day and I wanted to have a cigarette because I had cigarettes on my back. And I was like, it'd be really nice to have a beer and a cigarette right now. Um, but I realized I didn't have a lighter. So I was sort of wandering around, like figuring out what I could start a fire with in the studio <laughs> or at least just get hot enough that I could light a cigarette off it. Mm. Um, and then I realized I didn't have a beer in the, fr- in the fridge. So I opened the beer, I opened the fridge and there was no beer and I was like, fuck, okay. So this is obviously not no meant beer. to be. And then I was like, oh, well, I've got a soldering iron so I could maybe heat that up and light <laughs> it off that. And then like I, just, I turned it on to light it off and I was like, oh, fuck it. Because there was still solder on the end of it. Mm. So I was like, I probably shouldn't fucking like fucking inhale, burn, inhale like lead or whatever the fuck it is. So I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Home Audio Entertainment. Radio. The show for artists of all kinds. Sit down, relax, enjoy the music. Lots of people are sick at the moment. It's going yeah, around. It is going around. Yeah, I'm just sick in the heat. I'm not. Not body sick anymore. <laughs> what is it my 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 physical ailments have gone, but my mental ailments are they're burdening, they're burdening me. They're still around. Yeah, no, I no. I uh-huh. it's it's awkward times now with with COVID and everything to feel like you're like anything any symptom that you have now. There's sort of an immediate association to that. Yeah, you know, I feel like every time that I cough or splutter or snuff or I'm in public places, just any anything of that nature uh, you just sort of think like oh i should probably either not be here or i should be like fuck it, i should get tested it happened to me in the lecture the other day actually i was just like i had got up quite quickly before it and then had a coffee and it just ruined it just ruined my, my throat yeah. just destroyed my throat and i was in this yeah like <laughs> this uh lecture slash tutorial where they were explaining like the parts of this assignment and just every Fucking like second or third minute, I'm just going. Uh, uh, no, like yeah. not not that grossly because yeah, it's hard to imitate. But it's it's yeah. it's just really irritating, and I'm doing like, <laughs> I'm doing this thing where like I end up shaking my head just at myself, like so that others <laughs> can see that it. I'm irritated about the fact that I'm coughing. You I know, know like, I know. Yeah, basically, I'm just going like this. Like, <laughs> so other people are like not looking behind me, just hoping that people see it. Just yeah, like, yeah. oh, he's frustrated about. It. Like, it's obviously not. You know, it's not something that happens like, all the time. Uh, I don't know. It's so weird because I feel guilty about doing it. But then like people will come into work or just like in the same store that you're in and they'll just like cough like right onto you. And it's like, uh, yeah, go. people cough on you, not onto me, but you know, they're, they're not aware of the, the circumstances, mm. I suppose, mm. or like don't have that sort of awareness that uh, we're talking about now, you know? Yeah. That's tricky. But yeah. like, it's still, it's still gross regardless. It's kind of weird how it's actually kind of like it, not a blessing, but like the fact that we've gone through this now and like people are more aware of, of just general like public hygiene yeah. as well, which has kind of been good yeah. for the most part. But there's still people that just don't fucking like give a shit. Yeah. But that's because we haven't really gone, we went through it, but we didn't go through it in a, we didn't go through it in a sense where like, you know, the majority of people are actually conscious about the whole COVID effort and what's happened to the world are gen- generally going to be, you know, kind mm. of receptive to being respectful, being more respectful about your own health or whatever hygiene at the moment yeah but we didn't go through like a, a SARS or like a you know MERS or something really gnarly that made those other especially you know like Asiatic cultures like China and Taiwan and Japan like f- like enforce those yeah. as like a cultural norm you know yeah. like they actually had stuff happen to them in the last 20 30 years where they're like it's not acceptable to yeah you know like wearing masks was was not an issue because gnarly stuff had happened in the past where that had become how do, a how do we norm. compare like in New Zealand as, in, in comparison to 
sorry, that sounded really weird. How do we compare to like Asian countries in terms of like how we're run, like and in terms of the general like acceptance of what like the government sort of puts forward and what is sort of expected of you as a citizen under a government regulation? Oh, like, kind how of, is that sort of like? It's kind of broad, I guess. It kind of depends on where you are. Like, like is there sort of a, a general consensus among people? Like, because I'm, I guess I'm specifically thinking of like America. Like, there's there's generally quite a complex number yeah. of people that are either completely for yeah. or totally against like what the government is saying in terms of like what is supposed to be done or what yeah. should be done to prevent or do something. Like, I feel like when I look at Asian countries, they are typically more. Like there's sort of a general consensus amongst everyone that yeah. things are done this way. It depends though, because some of them are culturally driven, like places like uh, Taiwan, Korea, Japan. They're democratic countries that are more culturally driven, you could say, in terms of their regard for other people's health and their own health and society's health. Whereas, say somewhere like China, they are also very conscious about it, but that's also because they have a government that would be very forceful if there was to be a group of people that would have come out and say, no, the government is wrong. Um, it's it's my, you know, say you were to take the argument from the United States and be like, it's my right not to wear this mask. You wouldn't have an, a group of people supporting you in the same right. way in China that you would in the United States right. because of fear of repercussion or fear yeah, of... Sure. Um, I don't know, fear of not of going against the cultural norm, whereas in the United States they have a culture of going against the cultural norm yeah. is like, that's their cultural norm. Like yeah. that's that's yeah. what makes exactly. them Being the United free, States. Being American is to be, you know, yeah, your we, own person. Not yeah, to, you can make millions of dollars out of literally just being some dude who's like, yeah. you know, the government's lying to you, fucking don't wear your mask, yeah. it's all bullshit. And and yeah. meanwhile, they're, the, they're like the first dudes to line up and get vaccinated. And yeah, exactly. Like literally yeah. those people are the first ones to get vaccinated so that they can travel everywhere mm. so they can keep spreading their bullshit about not getting vaccinated. Mm. You know? Are you going to get vaccinated? I've, I've been head up about getting vaccinated. I think I will, yeah. I think I will, like I think it's more of a timing. It's more of like a – yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it's, it's funny because like it's not something that I'm like avoiding. It's just something that I've – yeah, I don't know. I guess because I'm in this, we're all in this sort of haze of privilege of not having to be vaccinated. Well, I haven't seen much of a, like a, a sort of a, an announcement, I suppose, as to when, because there were like your four, GP t- four should, tiers of Your GP when. should contact you. Right. That's right. who contacted me anyway, was the the app service, my health, whatever it is, from my GP. And they just we are at the point now where we, you and I are able to get vaccinated now. Oh, yeah. We've been able to do that for months. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It's, been, it's, been, it's been like that for ages. It's just that the people over the 65 and people with pre-existing conditions were selected first because... Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Because of your yeah, obvious reasons. Whereas I think... But you probably still... We probably still could have actually gone in and, and got vaccinated. Yeah. I find this sort of a, a scary subject, to be honest, because this is something I want to talk about, and I feel like it, it should be something that's talked about. But, like, like initially, initially, my thought is like, yes, I will get vaccinated. Obviously, like, if it's if it's if it's plausible, if it's if it's if it's you know, um, regulated and, and and it's approved, and you know, mm. it's it's safe for the most part, then I'm 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 on board, and yeah. it's going to do good for the nature of this coronavirus, and I'm on board, but. You know, there's there's so many. There's it, it does seem like it's a really heavy like. To, there's definitely like two sides to this to this argument about getting the vaccine, and I've seen a lot of stuff on social media that, like, is presented in a certain way. Like, I came across this post today that was like, it was posted by CNN. So number one, I don't really know what to 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 do with information that comes from that source. It's mm-hmm. not a source that I 
sort of um, absorb in in New Zealand, really. It's not yeah. really anything to, to do with us or what we see. But it was like five reasons why you should get vaccinated, basically, or like mm. why any sort of um, stigma around not getting vaccinated is ridiculous. And like just the just the language that they were using within their post was really sort of off-putting. Like I was generally on board with the points that were put forward, but the way it was spoken was really sort it's of always gonna it be like, like It's always going to kind of be like that, though. It's going to be... In terms of science communication, whenever you're trying to give a broad message out to people, it's going to be emoteless and it's going to be concise. It's yeah. always going to be the, the two things that you require to get broad amounts of information because the, the concept, like you say, is super broad. Like yeah. It has a whole bunch of elements to it. But if you actually want people to take up what you're saying, you have to be direct and you have to be like, these are why you should get, these are the reasons why you should get this vaccine that's it. The, yeah. the the discussion, the realm for discussion, is for yourself and for others. It's yeah. not for the science communication provider because if you don't do that, then you risk you run the risk of not being forceful enough, which is kind of what's happening. Seems to be happening in New Zealand and Australia. These bugger all people in New Zealand have got vaccinated that can be, get mm. vaccinated. Mm. It's one of the lowest in the world in terms of like really? yeah, in terms of the actual availability of vaccines to people getting vaccinated. Well, there was a whole thing about like another shipment that was supposed to arrive or something. Did you see that? Like there was supposed to be a huge shipment that was supposed to arrive like a month ago and it was delayed or something. And when it finally arrived, it was sort of next to nothing. Like we have been pretty low on supplies. I'd, I I'd say that, yeah, I don't, I didn't, I don't know why specifically that one was, but there's probably a whole bunch of the vaccines that come from overseas that have to be thrown out as soon as they arrive here because they have to be under right. per, the, the exact right conditions to be yeah, stored. Yeah, yeah. And if anything happens in transit, you can't run the. You, it's not one of those things you could be like, oh, you know, maybe these things were exposed to temperatures that they shouldn't have. Maybe they'll work. You can't. You just fully can't do that at all. So that's really why a lot of those delays happen as well. And the different vaccines have different, as I understand them, have they have different incubation points and they have different temperature yeah. needs and they they only last X amount of time once yeah, they're taking sense. out of their storage. Makes like, yeah. but look. The three, there comes, personally, I think there's three really simple reasons why I would get the vaccine. One, I want to travel. Two, if you're th worried about a concept of, the sort of concept of being monitored, it's it happened so long ago, it's not funny. Like, it literally happened so long ago, you know? What, what are you talking about specifically? Well, people saying, you know, like the kind of adage that people are going where, like, oh, you know, we don't want to get... You know, the crackpot theory, it's like, you know, we don't want to get vaccinated because it's going to contain a chip that's going to right, be right. like data mining us or mm. determining us to consume X, 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 whatever. But your fucking phones are doing that already, right. like subconsciously and at a way more powerful level. You don't, they don't need to internally control you. They're already externally controlling people. Yeah. Like it seems absurd to even sort of come to the conclusion that there would be some technological like something yeah, that's for sure. invisible for essentially sure. that can be like injected into your bloodstream for sure but that's a hallmark isn't it of like mm -hmm. all sort of conspiracy theories that have a tinge of mental instability about them in terms of their supporter base like I'm not saying that everybody that's anti-vax is in mentally unstable and they have a lot of a lot of people do have a lot of valid concerns and you know don't begrudge those people from looking into it and making that decision <coughs> excuse me but you know I think a lot of people have been concerned in terms of they've been like, you know, this pandemic hit us in a year and a half and then all of a sudden they're rushing to get this vaccine out, which doesn't seem safe, whatever. The speed at which the vaccine has been conjured is therefore um, supports the fact that it's it's dangerous or whatever. Mm. 
but that's the whole essence of any sort of vaccine is that mm. you're scientifically the speed at which you're trying to research the cure for anything is always at the utmost like that's that's the whole point you know you're trying to make it as fast as possible because it's if it's affecting your population you need to make it quickly you need to find what works and create a shitload of it and in essence trial it the only way that they're ever going to find out if it works is if they clinically trial it like they have and then start vaccinating people mm. like I think lots of people have been like, you know, it took X amount of years to create a polio vaccine, even though polio was fucking humans up for ages and stuff like that. But like, that's, that's a testimony for getting it. In my mm. opinion, it's like, well, yeah, I, I just, I find it interesting that people are concerned about the speed with which it's been created because it, it closed, it, it literally, it, it closed the world down. It was the, it was the, it was the comparison to like a, a great depression essentially. Right. And every scientist and every researcher that isn't dedicated to specific fields of research was being rerouted to create to create as many opportunities to create a vaccine for this particular cause because it closed down, it shut the fucking world down, mm. you know? So whoever created it and whatever teams of people created it in, in these Pfizer labs or Johnson, Johnson, whatever, they would have been under the pump. So that would have been so under the pump, you know. I do find it pretty insane. Like the 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 initial fact that something had been produced at such a rapid speed, at least in comparison to like other vaccines that have been produced historically. Not only just that one company's come up with that, but that there's like what four or five. Yeah, but they'd be that, sharing research between each right, other. They'd yeah. be pushing that onto each other. Yeah, well, that well I don't know sense. if they'd be pushing it onto each other, but there definitely would have been a monetary. Hmm. There'd be a monetary, um, uh, what's the word, um, stimulus or like yeah. a monetary, a monetary imperative for them hmm. to share the information to create as many versions of a vaccine as possible. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you could try to corner the market, but like it, a UN sort of thing. Nah, not a UN. Like a, on a corporate level, like all right. of these companies, they they all control different supply chain management. They all control thousands of offshoots of other companies and in all of those thousands of offshoots there's intermingling between employees and like knowledge bases right like it's impossible to prevent one person from one company interacting with another person in one company when they all work in the same place mm. like new york city berlin london etc it's just natural that they you know it's the same as like people who work for different accounting firms they know about each other they know about the other accounting firm they yeah. know who their clients are they know all that information they're going to know all that information and on a corporate level, like the boards, the board of directors of all those businesses, they would have met up and been like, look, either one of us takes years and manages to find this vaccine and creates a monopoly and becomes supremely rich or supremely powerful, right? But that could be 10 years from now. Mm. Or we share the information, we share and pull resources and we all benefit from it and we benefit from it in a year. Mm. rather than 10 years you know mm. for just one person i'm sure that would have been conversations that would have been had between yeah, it makes sense it makes sense people. that there would have been some sort of communication to have that many pop up at sort of the same time that was kind of like it was like you have a choice for vaccine I'm yeah like, what? and the come in like the political influence of those companies is the same as their corporate influence that's the whole problem with like global politics one of the whole problems of global politics right is that <clears throat> politics and, biz and business aren't separated at all by any by anything they're they're one and the same, mm. essentially. That's why there's so many, you know, people without food and housing because the people at the top are politicians, but they're just businessmen with a different name. Like, yeah. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. But to answer the question, I would get, I will, I will get vaccinated. Um, and I'm not, 
personally not afraid. I mean, I had a whole bunch of vaccines when I was fucking before I developed consciousness that mm. like I had no choice over slash you had to. I believe in science, basically. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, and and, and, and I do I do too. I would I would confidently say that I do too. Um, but I I'm still I'm I'm definitely like a. I guess I guess I'm just open minded if I can put that label on myself as as to as to getting as much information as I can receive and I'm open to hearing sort of arguments from both sides I think that's the best way to really learn about anything is to is to look at arguments from either or and see why they're valid or why they're not valid yeah and a lot of the arguments that I'm seeing from the side that is for the vaccine is like okay yes um you know like the the uh well, it's been okay. clinically trialed and yeah, people yeah, have yeah. it in the survival. Yeah, and you are doing good by doing it. And like 99% of the people who die from COVID are currently unvaccinated. Yeah, yeah. And so I see that and I go, okay, yes, it's, it seems it seems in my way of thinking and the way that I brought up and the way that I typically view these sorts of arguments is yes, like the vaccine is something that is good and I'm going to get. And 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 to, 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 to give an answer here, I probably will be getting the vaccine myself. But at the moment I'm, I'm getting a lot of information from the other side and and through this post that i referred to earlier about why you should be getting the vaccine and it's probably a toxic environment to really sort of get this information because mm. joe blogs can make a comment on any on anything at any time but i'm reading through these comments and almost a hundred percent of the comments are anti this post oh which is sure. pro vaccine and i'm going Okay, I'm not. I'm not going. Oh, okay. So there's a general consensus that we shouldn't. So I shouldn't. That's not my way of thinking. Yeah. But what I'm looking at is like, I'm looking at the specifics of what people are saying within this argument and going, okay, why are they saying this? How valid is the source that I am reading? Which it isn't at all. But there's obviously yeah. like talk amongst these points that people are making towards this that are going, my body, my choice, and like that just rings true to me because like when I look at something like just to take it a bit deeper is to, is to look at something like abortion. Like I'm someone that's pro-choice. So I have that mentality when it comes to that argument. But that's, does that translate that's, to a vaccine? That's the thing argument? is it doesn't tend to trans. These two issues don't trans. This mm. is, shows you the polarity between, between thought and, and action. Like majority of the people, I don't want to say majority of people, a lot of people that are anti-vaccine would be anti-abortion, right? Because conservatism and contrarianism are driving a lot of that. A lot of the a lot of echo chamber information from Facebook derives from contrarianism, mm. which has existed since the internet has existed, because it's an outlet for people to 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 vent, yeah. right? And I think that there's a misconception between some people that the pro your body, my body, my choice sort of concept extends to the vaccination concept when they it doesn't it doesn't really extend to that mm. it's sort of a it the, they seem like they're related but they're not one of the, it's almost shadowing the actual viewpoints of a lot of people mm. like the people who tend to be well not to not to label people tend to be christian and right wing and conservative and more closed minded people that would be anti the decisions of others about their own choice on their body or the liberalization of drug use or transgender rights or civil rights, social justice. A lot of the people that are, that's one of the big issues that's creating this divide between people is because there's each side thinks the other side is being hypocritical. Mm -hmm. You know, people who are more liberal that might be saying, I'm going to get the vaccine because it's, it's a, it's a societal decision that I'm making for other people 
And I also believe that the decision to abort a child is a, is a societal decision that other people are allowed to make. Uh, going to see hypocrisy in the other side of the aisle where people are going, I don't want to take this vaccine because it's my body. Mm. But one of the biggest problems with that whole argument has been from the start is that it's not a, it's not even really about your own decision to take the vaccine. Like the vaccine's not going to work in any sort of vacuum or society unless a threshold of people have it mm. because the decision for you not to get vaccinate, vaccinated might not affect you, but it can affect other people mm. around you if you become a carrier or a carrier of a variant mm. or a, um, an unconscious. That's what was one of the biggest problems was that you could be asymptomatic with this. You know, you could you could get it not realise you had it and but pass the, it the over to somebody else. The carrier else. argument still still goes both ways. Someone sure. that's vaccinated can but, still carry it. Yeah. That's right, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well I think, think so. about it. Someone that has coronavirus sneezes on someone's sleeve that is vaccinated. Like the virus is present on that person mm. and can be transferred to someone. For sure, for sure. But that would be transferred, that would be a, a higher likelihood of being transferred to somebody who wasn't vaccinated than somebody who was. Uh, yeah, so okay. yeah, by yeah, being yeah. vaccinated, it's like wearing a full body condom. Essentially, sure. it's not guaranteed to work all the time, mm. but it's going to work a lot of the time. Wait, right? Condoms don't work the whole time, <laughs> especially if you put three on them, bro. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> but no, like the the don't get don't get four vaccines. <laughs> no, so the um that's one of the, the the biggest problems in places like Australia where they keep going into lockdowns. Mm. They keep going into lockdowns, so they have issues with states and state and federal rights as well because a lot of people. In Australia, have a very uh, American mindset where mm. it's like you know, the Australian concept is that you own this piece of land and you own this concept of of personal liberty or whatever. And Eng England's the same way. Eng it's 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 white people. It's British. It's British descendant people. To be honest, mm. like a lot of the problems. If you if you took a fuckload of the vaccine and you took it to a place like India or China, where they're getting well, not necessarily China anymore, but India, where they got flogged by it. You'd be hard pressed to find many people that would be willing to take, uh, unwilling to take the vaccine if it was an escape out of the conditions they were in, right? Right. And same with Fiji. This is kind of the lesson that Fiji is learning at the moment, right? Is that they they're getting they're getting fucked by the coronavirus situation at the moment, and that's not necessarily because people are anti-vaccine in Fiji. It's just because Don't the concept the of getting vaccinated and having mm. access to the vaccine wasn't considered because the so-called era of the lockdown COVID initial hit, the wave, if you want to call that, which implies something completely different, had, had passed by them mm. in, their, in their mind. Like, mm. And that's the danger that New Zealand is in. It's like, you know, we think that we've gotten past this whole thing and this Delta variant and a whole bunch of other things that are currently keeping Australians inside their houses. Australia is so close to it. It's, it's unfathomably close to us. Like, mm. And the, the capability of somebody to come over and just – start the whole thing over again is ridiculously easy if people yeah, aren't vaccinated absolutely. you know absolutely yeah well like that scare we had in, in <coughs> wellington recently yeah it was that it was it's funny how complacent we actually are with the yeah. coronavirus well, yeah. and then that comes up and everyone shits their pants you mm. know because it's like oh well oh i've been to wellington i know someone that went to wellington yeah what if they came down here and yeah and well, we're back to like square one it's like we haven't actually had the full-blown like coronavirus yeah it's fucking real. Then there's no difference. There's no difference between. Remember when people went to the one two one festival mm. and the, but before we went into lockdown and people were sh fully shitting themselves yeah. like I have interacted with this person, this person, they might have coronavirus, and then the lockdown happened after that. Well, my flatmate had went. Yeah, got been to exactly. one two one, and then I'm living in the same place. Exactly right. Fucking, so what's 
what's the difference between that and a festival that's going to start in four months' time? Mm. Exactly. Nothing. Yeah. There's n- there's no difference of b- behind it, Strange except thing. that the only kind of potential chance that you have against it in any kind of random occurrence is by being vaccinated. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's a guarantee. I'm not saying I'm not some sort of like enforcer of that. I just personally think that it makes the most sense. Like it just, you know, it's like it's like these trends. Have you seen any of these trends where people were like claiming that um, after they took the vaccine that they became magnetic? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then people would just go on and be like, rub talcum powder on your skin, and then try to then like there's literally a TikTok I saw where the this guy's like look at this look at this and he's like sticking the spoon the spoon's like staying for like three seconds and then falls off because he's like humid and wet right I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and someone just posted like put talcum powder on your skin and try to do it again and the guy's like okay and just like like he probably already was like a pro vacciner he was probably just playing this yeah, yeah. it but he put the talcum powder on just didn't work and he just like turns the yeah, I want to make some apologies. And like, actually, <laughs> the rest of the TikTok was him just being like, yeah, I was an idiot. Like, this is all stupid. Like, I'm, I'm not magnetic. Like, wow. you know, it's such and- a crazy, like, like that, that's so interesting to me because I, I don't, I don't really like, <laughs> I can't really make any sort of like, um, accurate comments on this, but like the, the strength of anything that can be magnetic, like, obviously and surely is reduced significantly to something that is at a microscopic level yeah. level to think that you can stick a spoon to your arm yeah. from something that has been put into your bloodstream through a needle yeah. into your skin is, yeah. is kind of pr- even if it's there insane. was something and it was magnetic that's still really you can't magnetize yourself it's just insane yeah i know that's but that's crazy. like it's it's part of it's part of like you know it's not it's not new it's fully not new there's a guy he died not long ago <clears throat> I think he might have been on the Joe Rogan experience when Joe Rogan was first started. His name was James Tandy. He was in his like maybe his late eighties or nineties when he died. But in the sixties and seventies, he was famous as he's like one of them. He's possibly like the top three, well maybe even the most famous like skeptic, like guy who would, especially back in the day before the internet, before like you know kind of global connection, would go and like prove that all these things that people were claiming were bullshit. Right. And there was this guy called um Uri Geller, who's still alive, still super rich. He's still super rich. He made a lot of money out of this before he got disproven, and he's probably still making money out of it. This Israeli guy called Uri Geller, who used to go on the Johnny Carson show and um do a sort of a magic it was kind of like he claimed it was magic, but he also claimed that he had powers where he could bend spoons with his mind. Like he claimed that, you know, he he could like get Johnny Carson to hold this spoon and he would look at it and the spoon would bend. Right. Just all, just stuff like this. And then one time, this guy James Tandy went to Johnny Carson, might have been like the early 80s, and was like, I'm going to come on your show and get Uri Gell on your show and don't tell Uri Gell that I'm coming and get him to lay out all of his props before this, before the filming. And then just before we start filming, I'll replace the props with other spoons, like just normal spoons <laughs> that I have. And so he's like, yeah, okay, like fucking that's pretty funny. So he gets on the show and like he replaces the spoons and then he just, you know, Uri, um, James Tandy comes on and kind of like ambushes him. He's like, oh, like demonstrate to everybody how, how you can bend these spoons. And he does the exact same thing that he'd done on all these other shows and just nothing's happening. And he's like, oh, it's an off day. Like the temperature isn't right in here. Like just stuff like that, you know? Mm. So stuff like that has, is like, it's been around, it's a snake oil salesman thing, you know? Like, yeah, sure. So people, people will literally see humanity right to its destruction if it means that they can be on top of other people while it happens, you know? Like, <laughs> fuck. Some people, so some people will just, so especially true. in the United States, yeah. like it's, it's a, it's a, 
it's a cultural melting pot of letting people rise. It's just a class. Mm. It's the class warfare structure. Like, yeah. Yeah. To the max. Yeah. Dudes like Alex Jones and stuff like that, you know, like. I never really dive too much into that. Don't. Sort of ethos. Fully don't. Yeah. Fully don't get, don't, don't even, I'm not even going to discuss Alex Jones stuff here because it's a waste of time. Like To be honest, man, like I'm, I'm not going to get into this, but like um, there's, there's a huge, um, there's a huge population of the, the Joe Rogan fan base that just want to hear Alex Jones con- constantly. Oh, 100% there is. And, and it's strong enough that like it's been one of the most popular episodes that he's ever had. Yeah. Um, and so that was enough to intrigue me to listen to an episode. And of Alex like, Jones's show? No, 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 of, of the episodes Alex that, he, that Alex Jones is on, Joe Rogan. And 10 minutes in, um, I'm not even sure what we're talking about anymore. Yeah, that, yeah. That's that. It's, it's not a matter of that's like what opinion or this is what I do or don't. It's like I'm actually – I don't even know what we talk, we're talking about at this stage. Yeah. What is this discussion about? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm quite literally tuned out to the whole conversation because – yeah, what am I listening to? Like, what are we actually talking about? It's too deep and it's too like. But I just get thing. lost anyway. But that's what he does. That's what he does. Is he like? That's the whole, the whole structure of his. You know, I'll, I'll talk about it briefly. I won't get into it too much because I don't want to talk about it. He's no, like an idiot. But the whole structure of how he's done it in the first place, right? Is that you? You bombard. You just bombard your audience with just bam, 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 bam. Even the way he talks, Joe's like. You know, the globalists are trying to take over. You know, the, the globalists are trying to take over your. They want to. They want to run your lives. You know, interdimensional vampires. You've got it backwards, bro. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh Christ. Can just lit a, a cigarette backwards. Oh lord. Um, yeah, that sucks, man. You should cut. You should cut it. If How you can. I don't even. <laughs> Happen. <laughs> Happens. It's not the first time I've seen it happen. That's so. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's that and that lit too. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's an awful Shit. smell, eh? That's so funny. Just you should just cut the end off. I'm gonna it. do that. I'm just gonna grab some scissors. All right. So funny. Should I entertain um the public? <laughs> yeah, this is probably all gonna be edited out by Kieran anyway. But um, you know what? I'll do. I'll just um I'll keep talking. I'm gonna tell the listeners about uh you know some potential goings on in Dunedin. How about that? What? what, what oh, I'm gonna go to on uh, I believe it's August the 11th. Uh, I'm going to go to, I think the Critic and Radio 1 are hosting it um, in the new music studios at the university. Night Lunch, Dale Kerrigan and Porpoise, the members of Porpoise who were on your podcast before. They're doing they're doing like a, I think the concept is that they're creating music like on the spot, you know, like they're, they're going to record music in front of an audience. I think maybe 30 to 35 tickets. At Radio 1. Nah, at the university in the music in the new music studio that they have there. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh, it only came out tonight. I'm pretty sure oh, right. as of today, which is the twenty what's twenty second twenty second of uh, July. Yeah, it is too. I think it's on the eleventh of August. Listeners, thirty two dollars fifty. I paid for my ticket, yeah, which is oh, well, that's actually fair. Isn't I mean, it? it's three bands, and you're seeing a live experience, and you're going to see something that you haven't really seen before. Yeah, I'm true. assuming. I, I hear the price, and I immediately react. I, I yeah. didn't take into account the the show so. yeah no it's fair I mean 30 anything over $25 $20 starts to get a little bit like yeah yeah. but I reckon it'd be a good one for 3x something different I get to squeeze and ogle their um, you know the new uh, music studio I got it um let's see <laughs> where is the studio it's on Union Street um, opposite the fields near near the stadium 
it's on the corner, like the, you know, Anzac Ave, Forsyth Bar Stadium was like right here. Oh, sure. Yeah, that yeah. little wing. Yeah. It's at the oh, back cool. of the teaching room. We were lots of yeah, my classes yeah. there. Oh, cool. Well, I'm pretty sure that's where it is anyway. But yeah, I don't know. I thought I, I, I bought a ticket. I was, I was, I hit interested on Facebook. As I as I am want to do on Facebook all the time. Every time I open Facebook, Liam Dell is interesting. Yeah, that's literally every every time anybody ever discusses Facebook with me, they're like, "Is there anything you're not fucking interested?" In? <laughs> um, that's good. I think it's a good like. It's, it's the only it's thing I use Facebook. It's the only thing I use Facebook for. Literally, the only thing I use Messenger, and that and that's it. It's a great tool because you see something and not necessarily guaranteed to be going to it, but you can be interested and you can see the news that pops up and other people see it. And, yeah. I yeah, think it's good, but yeah. So I yeah, and then I saw they had limited tickets, so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna buy this motherfucker. So when is this? Wednesday, the 11th of August. Cool. Yeah, that sounds like fun. You should get the night lunch dudes on this pod. I reckon. I reckon yeah, I've actually had them on my list for a while. We can the two Liams. The two Liams, Liam and Liams. Yep. Clunes, yeah. and Hoff. I reckon they'd be yeah. they'd be great guests. Very funny, intelligent men. There's something I want to. I do want to admit on the podcast, and I do want to put this sort of message forward because. Um, this is something that I don't want to sort of be, I guess, misconstrued about what I'm doing here is that I love, I love, um, anyone that's creating anything. And I love, I love, I love music. I love art. I love writing. I love anything. I love anything that's created from anyone. And I'm, I'm always happy to talk to anyone about anything, but I do, I do struggle to talk to, um, to people about music. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm such a homebody that I, I don't often go to gigs like times that you and I will go to something is admittedly fairly rare because I, I, I'm not often in the mood to, to go out to something and you know this about me. Yeah. Um, I think that's so, like, super common as well. Yeah. But I, I also feel like a lot of guilt within that because I feel like I should be supporting people like as someone that creates something myself, I would expect people to be turning up to something that I present so I feel like in turn I should be putting my my time and effort into into going to someone else's thing. Yeah. So I, I do feel guilty in like specifically with these nuts, um, <laughs> oh, night lunch guys. I love Light their music. music. I love their music. Mm. I definitely do. And I love the, I love those boys. Like I I think they're fantastic. Like they're just so lovely. Every time I've seen them, they're just the nicest guys. And just it's just their lovely presence to be around. And so that alone is enough for me to be interested in something that they do. Um, but I feel like with my absence in their actual performance, like I do struggle to, I feel like I would struggle to, to, to have that conversation with that person. And I feel like a lot of the dynamic based around what I want to, to do in this show is, is, is more to just not talk about someone specifically and what they do is just to do what you and I are doing now. It's just to sort of ramble on, yeah. which I find more enjoyable. And it, it People sort of, prefer that as well. Yeah, and I, and I, I hope that that really does reign true because um, I, I do want to present content that is, that is fathomable to a majority rather than putting on like an interview platform. Like, and this is not an argument for why I shouldn't get lunch on because I 100% will. Um, and I say will because like, I'm I, I'm confident that I will, will make that happen. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I just I just feel a bit of guilt involved. Like, I I feel like whether it's true or not, um, because this is obviously my my own perspective on the on the subject. But I feel like without the sort of real engagement with that artist, it's hard to to really sort of like 
have them have a real uh, acceptance that they're there or at least comfort with me as a person that's talking to them. Yeah. Like I would hate to talk to someone when I don't really know anything about what they do. But that in itself is also exciting because I can get I get to find out those things about that person. So I would like to be someone that can not have to show up to someone's performance or show or whatever mm. and then talk to them because then I can find out yeah. the sort of the intricacies. I, I much prefer like whether I like someone's art and and I mean art in the broad sense of like in, in encapsulating music and art and, and writing poetry, anything that you can put under the label. Um, I, I, I'd rather hear someone talk about what they do and why they do it without the fact of actually like interpreting that art. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'd rather like have someone come on and tell me about their art as a whole than have me to go, oh, I like or don't like this. Tell me why you do it. But yeah, but do you the, know what I mean? And yeah, for sure. But that's also a, that's an advantage, you know, that's, that, that's something you can, that's, that's a, that's a concept choice, you know, like um, there's, there's a difference between being like a, a music journalist, if you want to call it that, right? Mm. Like somebody who is attending gigs, meeting musicians, and then being like, hey, I've got this podcast or this radio show or this television show or whatever, and I want you to talk. There's there's a lot of inherent, there's like, um, there's like an inherent sort of position that each of you are taking in that exchange, right? Where it's like, you're the artist. On the interviewee, and then therefore you're kind of locking it into this sort of dynamic that you have mm. to have. Whereas it's fine not to have that dynamic. There's lots of people that I'm sure are fine with not having that dynamic. You know, like there's lots of people like like I know from from what what music I have played live, and you know, obviously it's going to be way different for those guys because they play on a different level, or they have different experiences, whatever. But um, you know. You like to have an audience. You like to have a receptive audience. You like to have an audience that understands. But at the end of the day, that is like, that's that's the dream. You know, that's like, that's like if every piece of art that you created, you had an, an audience that you knew their faces and their names and you knew that they were receiving the art in the exact way that you intended it to be received. That's a fucking pipe dream, to be honest with you, bro. You know, yeah. like that's, that's the goal. That's obviously something that people want and that's what you want when you're creating a lot of it. But you have to be realistic and be like, that's not always what my audience looks like. That's not the way they're perceiving it. People are so variable that it's you. You sort of have to step away from that concern a lot of the time. You know, like that. You know, you're not going to the gigs and you're not being seen at these gigs. You're not. I don't think that that has as big of an impact on this as you think it might. You know, mm. like um, lots of people that are just keen to have a yarn or might know you or know of the show or whatever they've had people you've had enough guests at this stage where you know it would have come up between people like you know somebody comes on the show and they see somebody that's been on the show and they're like oh what's this like what's Karen like yada yada mm. that's where a lot of it's going to come from you know you don't have to be the kind of guy that's going to all of their shows and then being like hey I really love this 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 and this yeah, like yeah, I want yeah. you to come on the show and we're going to discuss this 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 yeah, and this like true. personally that would probably turn me off if, if I was if I was performing and you come up to me wouldn't necessarily turn me off because I guess part of it would be ego and you'd be like oh cool that dude yeah. is receiving this and he wants to you know there's something to be said for that yeah. but that and, and without that experience that, as the listener it's harder to engage yeah with that for as sure well. but that's also fucking draining as yeah. a human being like you can't you can't always be Johnny on the spot who's at every gig paying the money working in the day 
drinking, if you choose a drink, whatever, having a blaze, whatever you want to do and go to these gigs and yeah. interact with these people, you know, on a regular basis. There's enough of that happening in Dunedin that it would wear you down yeah. significantly, you know. Yeah. I go to a lot of gigs and sometimes there's, that's, you know, I don't always have the same outcome. Sometimes I'm like, you know, that was cool, but far out, I almost would have just been better served staying at home. Like, yeah. And I know it's different if you want to meet somebody and you want to bring them into this format and you know have sort of an optimal what you see as an optimal conversation happening whatever but mm. it doesn't it, it's a i was i was talking to lachlan uh my mate lachlan who is the leading of a, a up-and-coming band Denise called man ray right shout out to man ray the boys i was explaining this to him as well he he was kind of you know asking me how i had such a, an array of people that i'd sort of interacted with and people had seemed to have x viewpoint on me like everyone that had me it was like oh you're receptive to this or you understand this or whatever but i was like to him like man the whole reason that happened is because every one of these interactions is completely fucking random like Mm. every every human interaction is completely random there's so many other elements going into it you know so you could go to one of these gigs absorb all the music like feel like you had a real connection with the group and then the group might just be like you know what i don't want to be on this podcast Mm. because they don't like to speak publicly about the art. They don't know how to convey the art. They just aren't a public speaker. They're not a person who yeah. is willing to hear their voice be transmitted outside of the format that they've chosen. That's fine. And then, yeah, and, and you understand that, you know what I mean? And I know that you understand that. And that's just how it is. That's random, you mm. know? And you might come up to somebody else who's like, fucking, you've never met them. And they're like, oh, I heard about, you've had people, you've had mm. guests on that have approached you and been like, I want to be on the podcast, yeah. you know? I've got this music that I want to convey or I want to have these conversations. It's a fucking random roll of the dice all of the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and even people who have like somehow slipped into, you know, um, positions of prominence or whatever where like they've been able to make this their living or whatever, like so much of that is a ra- completely fucking random variant as well, you know? And, you know, as we were talking about before the podcast, anyway, you got shit going on that's completely random, you know what I mean? Like you've, yeah. you've got some shit coming up that people are going to be interested in and excited about and it's probably going to draw more people into this. Yeah completely randomly you know yeah so i feel like you 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 obviously it's natural to be concerned about that and you know be like oh who's going to come and listen to this or who wants to have this conversation but honestly man fuck just don't be like yeah. you know and i know it sounds like a real you know blase information no, 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 to but hear you're, but you're right you're right and 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 part of the reason why why i bring this up with you is because um it's good for me to 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 have that second opinion Put on me because you know, like myself, and I know tons of other people will just overanalyze everything that they do as an individual, um, and and it's definitely something that I do, and I definitely overthink things that I, I definitely don't need to do, mm. and 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 everything you say is true there. Like you know, I've definitely hit people up to come on here that that don't want to do it, and that's mm. fine. And I've had people and people that have come to me and be like, I want to I want to use your platform. Um, and that's obviously fantastic because you know I'm happy to give people the voice if they they feel like they need they need a voice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's been fun, you know. Yeah, well, you think about all the conversations that you've had with people already. That you know, you that you just wouldn't you wouldn't have you just wouldn't have no, like no. and and like the the amount of people I know I feel like I say this every well the the, the other three or four five times we've been on whatever where i say that every time like people are like what's going on with the pod listen to this pod was all interesting like that's that's what it's about man 
how you know far out how many you know a, a po- the the concept of the podcast is like a library you know there's going to be one book that's fucking checked out a thousand times you know there might be Homer's Odyssey in the library checked out a thousand times because it has this reputation people mm-hmm. are like oh I've got to get on board with this yeah. and then there's this other fucking book that changes one person's life or it just is completely random and just falls into their lap and it's just like it has the same zeitgeist appeal and randomly thrusts itself into a position of importance it's all fucking randomization like yeah. everything everything that's ever happened especially in the last two years for, personally for me have shown me that it's just it's so inherently random yeah. that the only stress that it provides is to feel like you have any control over any of these scenarios and you don't you do have some control over it in terms of creating the environment but in terms of who are drawn to that environment and how that environment is presented to others once it's out there it's fucking out there yeah, man no, you know so. like it's yeah you've got no choice yeah exactly. and that's just one of the random you know dice rolls the whole thing it's yeah. like you know think of how far you've come with the art and and the studio, the studio that we're in right now, like far out, you probably wouldn't have even thought about doing that four years ago. Yeah, five years ago, you know. Yeah, it's definitely, I definitely, definitely consider myself lucky in terms of like what has sort of fallen into my lap. Um, I definitely think that, you know, I appreciate a lot of a lot of people that, or most people that that put time and effort into what they do, and and not to say that I don't put time and effort into what I do because I do. But you know, I it, it's it's easy to look at your own work as invalid as in compared comparison to others. Oh yeah, um, and like in terms of just having this space, this has been something that is that that really did fall into my lap, and and I was in the right place at the right time, and made the call that needed to be made, and and sorted this out, um, which has been super beneficial to me as an artist to to have a space to work in, and and obviously there's tons of people in Sydney that don't have that capability don't have the the place that they they want to be able to, to to do the things they do and I definitely don't think my art would have excuse me progressed the way that it has the way that it has if it had not been for the space so there's definitely obviously like this I don't know if this is this obviously this is all in sort of hindsight but I don't know if this this would have happened without the studio space um, because the concept would have arisen arised arisen 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 yep um I think I think that was still would have come to fruition somehow, but with the the benefit of having the studio, it definitely wouldn't have got to the point that it, it is now without this. You know, like doing this from home would be would be quite interesting. It wouldn't work. I I don't know if it wouldn't work. No one say it wouldn't work. It'd be a lot more intimate. I feel. Yeah, it'd be harder. It'd be way harder. Like, yeah. and well, I would assume for you anyway, because I know you fucking I, I know you probably better than anybody that's ever been on this. Is that like you know? I just can't, couldn't see it projecting the same way if you had to bring them into your home. It's a yeah. whole it's a whole concept of why you have the studio in the first place, right? It's because it's like I can create art. It's a whole place of why anybody has a jam space or anything. It's mm-hmm. like I can create in this space if I have to, but I don't feel like I'm getting the full spectrum of what could be mm-hmm. if I'm being forced to create it in this box, exactly. right? Yeah, and that's a sort of that's what's happened. I would love I would love to see um, I would love to see how things sort of progressed had it not been for the studio you know like if i had continued to be painting in the lounge at home would i be at the place i'm at now if not for the studio you know and i feel like i feel like there's definitely that potential because i feel like you adapt to whatever environment that you're in or what what environment you have access to and i feel like prior to the studio 
I feel like I honestly think sometimes that I was actually working harder at home than I was at the studio. Yeah, you probably might have been. The, ben- the benefit of a home is you're always home, you know. And the goal hadn't been reached. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like it's um, you know, it's the same thing with like um my my home. Like I have a a space that I have had like musical interactions and interaction with people that I would never have had mm. if I hadn't have created those elements to draw people into. You know, I I say that to lots of people when they come around. They're like. You know, people lose the sh- lose their mind about my studio space, my room, my it's house. Fantastic. But people, but, but that's like a lot of the time. I'm just like people. You know, I've got all of these instruments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's because I knew that my musicianship is mostly from like a singing perspective, right? Mm. And if you're a singer or you're somebody who has like, um, or even extends to things like podcasts or whatever, something that uses your inner projection rather than like a tool you have to have things to draw people into those into those situations in which they're comfortable to Mm. be open to that right so like art could have worked for you in your in your home you could have kept going whatever but that was a random occurrence Mm. you know what i mean that this whole thing is a random occurrence the same way that like you know i set up the home thing to bring people in so that i could create musical adventures with other people you know it's like it's all it, it's cool to kind of think about what would have, would have happened, but like that's that's gone, mm. and everything in the future is just completely randomised as well. You know. Like yeah, yeah, and and I'm not saying like I'm dwelling. No, no, no. I know you're not. I know you're not. It's interesting to analyse how these sort of events have transpired, and I think in 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 your case, you know, you've someone that's been you've been more passionate about the thing that you do longer than I have been passionate about anything that I have. And so your your musical ability and the nature of how you interact with music and how you facilitate music has sort of just organically transpired. But it took me ages to get there. Yeah, it took me ages still, in the same way. It was still way. in your mindset, you know. You you were still like, music is something that is 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 ingrained in me, and is something that I want to do, and I want to achieve something through this platform. And so it was sort of inevitable that you would end up on a point that when you had the space, it was something that you could utilize. Yeah, for that audience, you know. Whereas yeah. like this platform that I'm using now is something that I have sort of thought up through what I've accumulated if that yeah. makes sense yeah, yeah you know, but that's the same i can use the space to do this now whereas you're like well i suppose it's the same isn't it yeah because you're like i have i have a, well i started in a different part of the house yeah you know i started in a, in a in a small room where like you know what i was creating was all it was all just me it was like keyboards guitar mm. singing and then it's like oh now i'm in this bigger space i can have a mic i can have mm. i can add some bass i can add some amps i can add the drum kit i can add all these things it was all I'd, you know what I mean? Like it was all like, this is where I am now. This is what I would like to happen. I'm I'd, I'd like to be in a space where I could get four or five random people. You know, I've had interactions where fucking four or five people I don't even know come into my room at three o'clock in the morning and start <laughs> making music, you know, like, yeah. and that's, that's something that I always wanted to do, but that's something that like, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have yeah. eyed it to happen that way. Yeah. And, and, but that also required complete randomization, complete rolling of the dice. And like, I could have gone, Backwards, gone into even small space, it wouldn't mm. happen, you know. Mm. But let's keep this train of thought. I need to have a piss. All right, <laughs> you're back on the Lindell podcast experience. Nah, um, I'm just gonna keep talking, really. Um, I think that, um, it's pretty amazing, really, what Kern's been able to achieve, um, in the space and the amount of people that 
I've seen come into the space and be amazed. The art around. If you haven't ever been into the studio, you should um, hit Kieran up on the 9016 podcast page to get him to be like, yo, send us some photos of the shit you're working on or send us some photos of the studios or what the setup looks like. Because um, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty cool. And a lot of people, I think, aren't aware of how epic um, these spaces can be in Dunedin. There's so many spaces out there that are like this. Um, shout out to a place like Spaceland, um, down on Jutland Street. Uh, shout out to Battle Mag, um, Abe Hunter, those guys. There's some crazy shit that they're doing. You know, there's lots of, like I said, the boys Man Ray, Night Lunch, crazy bands, crazy bands, Three Quarter Marathon, Damon, Jack Berry, you know, all those guys. Um, it's here, it's here, it's, and we can create it. So, like I said, it's all random, randomized roll of the dice, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're here on a cool on a cool Thursday night, 22nd of July, drinking some gin and tonic, smoking on a smoking on a cigarette, looking at a lamp, looking at some lights, you know, looking at a great uh, painting here right now beside me by Karen Kramer, as previously spoken about. If you get the chance, listen to the new music by School Fear, new Dunedin band uh, with some familiar faces. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but they're playing on Friday night at the Crown. Shout out to the Crown, locking it down for like 40 years in Dunedin, legends of the scene. Go to the Crown if you've never been to the Crown. Um, yeah, rock on, honestly. Yeah, yeah, God, I got a face for radio. Tell you that, tell you that right now. Luckily, the toilet's really close to the studio, so I'll be rambling for a long time. A lot of stuff to edit out, so. Oh, your door door closing, door opening. Hello? Uh, this is actually a private studio. Oh. You've been talking this whole time. Oh. I've been trying. Maniac. I've been trying to talk. You know me, can't shut me up. Whew, it's a bit smoky in here. Evans. Bring another candle on actually this time. Can you grab my cell phone that's on that chair as well? Yeah. Also, ladies, um, on Tinder, you see me? <laughs> oh, speaking of. I did. But, um, yeah, if you see me on Tinder, um, swipe left. I'm a deviant. I'm an awful human being. Um, if you know what's good for you, I'm the kind of guy your mother told you to stay away from, so... What uh, sense this candle? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Evening fireside glow. Evening fireside glow. Yeah. <laughs> it's this could be made out of. Doesn't even have the ingredient. Wait, uh, what? It fully doesn't say what's in it or what it's made out of or what scent it is. It's candle. It's made out of candle. Candle. Eh? You ever see? You ever see Fight Club? Huh? See Fight Club? I haven't. Remember that? Fat the soap. Fight Club. We've been meaning to watch it for a long time. You ever mm. seen Fight Club? No, I've never seen Fight Club. It's uh, been on a flat movie list for a while. What others haven't seen Fight Club? Yeah, the I other people in your flat haven't seen Fight Club. I expect everyone to have seen. I don't know. I just watched a shitload in English. And Dude, you need a drink? Are you good? Um, I probably will soon, but I'm right at the moment. Fight Club. Yeah. Cult classic. So Fight Club. Yeah, it is a cult classic. It wasn't very commercially successful when it came out. Um. Definitely think it's one of those movies that has probably benefited from the themes in it remaining relevant. 
It's a little bit. Oh, just the consumerism themes in it, the sort of like male isolation themes. Male isolation themes? Yeah. Well, it's about a whole bunch of men that start a fight club, essentially, because they feel... Yeah, I don't know anything about it. Well, yeah. Basically, they start a fight club because they feel disenfranchised. it's like a club of people that fight. Yeah. The whole concept is uh, there are people that are downtrodden by their consumerist lifestyle and they feel like they've been, you know... Ed, Edward Norton and uh, and Brad Pitt give all these speeches about you know we we had um, like Brad Pitt's famous speech is you know we're the children of you know the Great Depression we have no Great Depression the Great Depression is our life kind of thing. Do you need water? Do you need water? I've got one bottle of water. Do you need any water? I'm gonna bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to disrupt. No, nah, it's fine. I'll just keep going. I mean, it's my podcast anyway. So. <laughs> PSA to people out there, if you're listening. Um, stop asking me how the podcast is going. Well, don't stop asking me, but ask Kieran. You know, you can ask me. That was douchey. Sorry, you no, can't ask me how the you can't you can't ask me how the podcast is going. It's but essentially yours. I mean, not really. I mean, one day this rights will be signed. It's yours. When I inevitably <laughs> when I inevitably die at thirty, the podcast. Will Jesus, be. <laughs> I'm older than you. So what happens when I die at thirty? Well, you'll still be alive when I die at 30. <laughs> like, you just die April 1st. To t- April 1st. What year would it be? 20. Oh, Jesus, this is bad. 20. Was that 2021? I, it'd be 20. 24? 2026. No. Oh, 2026. Yeah. Fuck, that's not far away. No, I know. I'm almost. Yeah, I know. It freaked me out. When I. I low key had a bit of a freak out the other day when I turned. Uh, the other month when I turned 26. Just low key. <laughs> yeah. Just, just low key, no fleek. <laughs> no, I like, yeah, no fleek zone, you know. Um, no, but I, I did, I did freak out a little bit. I was like, you know, oh, well, naturally, man, like, fucking hell. Not yeah. really, not really though, because like I've got lots of friends that are like, you know, Jesus Christ. I, I mean, oh, thanks. I mean, I was hanging out with, uh, with, with Joe, Joel, Joel from Porpoise's dad. You know, I've hung out with his dad a couple of <laughs> times. His dad's like forty. You know, I was hanging yeah. out with him. I'm like, how old are you, man? He's like, I'm forty. I'm like, what? Christ. He's like, yeah, my son, my son Joel is twenty. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, isn't that Ben Porpoise? I was like, yeah. How did you find turning twenty five? I know you're twenty six uh, now, but like, was was it like quarter life crisis time, or was it like? It was a little bit weird. Yeah, it was a little bit weird. But you know, at the same time, I don't know. I've got this weirdly optimistic. I don't want to be an old person, but I also have this kind of faith that. I've met a lot of older people recently. I've been doing lots of, uh, you know, work around town. One of the guys that I do work for is an 85-year-old man. He's ridiculously independent. Still, like, walks his dog. You'd hope so at 85. What? That is... <laughs> what? What does that mean? I mean... <laughs> what? No, no. I mean, like, you know... He's, I mean, like... He's alive. still walking and, like, alive and breathing, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel uh, like... I mean independence and, like, you can do it. Oh, you can do, do your own shit and wipe your own ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But even at 85, sometimes it's a big question. That's true. But, you know, I've met people... I remember meeting people, you know, when you were younger and you're like, this dude's sick, motherfucker's 60? His life's mm. over. And you got 85-year-old guy who's just like... 60. There's an 85-year-old guy. He will, he'll often... I'll be doing work on his house. be like, oh, by the way, if you see me, like, collapsed on the ground... Just phone this number, like, and if I'm dead, yeah. He's literally just that blase about it. He's like, if I'm if I collapse, you know, you can contact this number. But if I'm if I'm dead, if I'm, if you if you think I'm dying or if I'm about to die, just let me go. And I was like, oh yeah. And he said that within like an hour of me meeting him. Mm. So, 
Well, I mean, which honestly, is fear. It's, there's humor in that. There's there's sadness in that. There's I don't think there's any sadness in, in it for this guy. Eh? Well, that's that. I, that's kind of where I'm leading. Is like, you know, how how awful would it be? You just meeting that guy, and then the next day he dies. He's out on his front porch, and he's he's laying flat on his back, and you're like, oh my god, what is happening? Mm. You know, mm. at least then you have that expectation of like. This dude could potentially be dead. Well, that's why he oh, did it. There it is. He's dead. But I think he already sort of figured that, you know, when he when I was like, you know, I was like, oh, you know, in your seventies. He's like, no, I'm eighty five, and I'm like, oh, okay. Mm. It's like some dudes look good. Some, some dudes do look age. good, and then some dudes look like straight trash. And I feel like I'm gonna look like straight trash by the time I'm forty. I feel like some people will look at me and be like, Jesus Christ, look at that sixty five year old man. I'm sorry, but <laughs> who really looks? Like fantastic when they're sixty. Oh no, 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 nobody. I'm not planning on it. I just don't really like. I don't. I'm not keen on the concept of like just being old in general. You know. Mm. I know that's obviously like, oh no shit, dip shit. But like, that's I don't know. It's it's not a frightening. Well, it's not a frightening concept to me because yeah. you know, my dad's seventy four and he's still like you know still, still doing his thing, still doing whatever. Mm. But it's it's kind of like, it's just bizarre. I think it's just bizarre the amount of people that you see, you know. That or that I've had interaction with the wave that like die in the early sixties. Mm. It's like, damn, like that dude, that's young. That's so young. But then when you kind of consider the concept, you're like, damn, it's like sixty one, that's another thirty five years. Yeah. Like what scared me was when my nana passed away and where <laughs> she was buried. All the the um graves, I suppose, that were in the vicinity of where she was buried, it was all like Young that have died in their forties and fifties, yeah, and that was like what? Yeah, like, that was the normal at at one point in time where men were dying in their forties. You know, that was like the normal age to die. Yeah, which is pretty absurd. Yeah, I think it's still like it's still you know we had a family friend two thousand and three. He was about forty five when he died, and lecturer. I didn't have any classes today at uni because um, one of the lecturers in the education department died, and she was I don't know in her late 40s maybe, and yeah, it's just like, but it's almost like, it's weirdly comforting in a way, in some kind of way, like I'd be very distraught for the people that I had in my life that you kind of affected from that, but mm -hmm. at the same time, it's sort of nice to think of like passing away that way, in a weird way, like it's it's kind of nice to just be like, one day you're just like a moderately middle-aged kind of person, and it's sad because you obviously have so much life left, but it's also like nobody ever gets to see you at the stage where like you can't walk and you can't like, you know. Yeah, not yeah. I see what you're saying, and not to romanticize the idea, but I feel like, you know, you look at like the the 27 club, you know, Hollywood stars that have died miraculously at 27, and there's a whole bunch of people at this age that have died at 27, and you look at those people like one person that's been sort of a, a standout for me or someone that has influenced in my. I suppose aesthetic or lifestyle has been River Phoenix. Yeah, as part of that club, and I look at I look at that, and it's obviously a tragic death, and it's it's obviously due to something that was is not something that's really encouraged amongst people to do. It's, it was a drug use, but he thing. had a lot of problems in his life. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It but, came out later. But, but beside that point, what, what I'm saying is is that that's that fact 
someone dying at that age is, is always going to be sad. That's never an expectation of someone's lifespan is, is 20 or 7 years old. No one's ever going to presume that someone would be at Was Robert Phoenix 27, though? He yeah. was younger than that, wasn't no, he? No, I think he, yep, definitely 27. I thought he was like 24 or 25. No, no, definitely 27. He was at Johnny Depp's nightclub. Yeah, the Viper Room. he died, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm confident it was 27. But it's just the fact that, like, again, not to romanticise this idea, but that that dude, like, I'm never going to see what that dude looks like when he's old, you know? Yeah. That guy is always going to be 27 or younger in how we see him. And there's almost like a, like a... Um, he was 22. That's not true. He was 23, October 31st, 1993. When he died? Yeah. What? Yeah, he was super young. Him, 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 and like James Dean. James Dean was only like twenty two or twenty three. Lots of people think they're older than they were, but they weren't. Really? Yeah. I can't believe that. Yeah. May I see that? Yeah. I'm sure he was part of the twenty seven club. Nah, nah. There's actually not as many people part of the twenty seven club as people think. Wow. Like, you know, guys like Mac Miller, Juice World, Pop Smoke. I mean, obviously they're relatively new, Dude, but Pop all- Smoke would have just turned twenty three. That's he died like up. last year. That's so fucked That's 22, up. sorry. That was the that was definitely that one's definitely one of the worst like social media influence deaths. Wow. Like I, I'm sorry, just to just to go to backtrack to this River Phoenix thing. I he was super I was, young. Like, this is so weird that I'm wrong on this. Like I usually am very accepting of when I'm wrong about something, but River Phoenix was a guy that I immensely admired in terms of his acting capability and just his general aesthetic and just lifestyle I romanticized to the point that he just became a figure in my life that was immensely influential and I can't believe that I didn't realize he was only 23 because when he was in um when he was when they filmed the you know how he's Indiana Jones at the start mm. of the last crusade mm. he's only 17 or 18 when they filmed it wow. like he was super young but I think the reason that his his family his parents were part of the children of god cult like their their last name isn't Phoenix. Their last name is Bottom. Mm. So like River River Phoenix River Bottom. River Bottom, which I personally think is equally as dope. Like it's kind of like poetic in a way. It's like <laughs> it's, you know, it's almost like a like a Native American name. Wacken you know? Bottom. Yeah, Wacken Wacken Bottom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, their 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 parents were part of the Children of God cult because I'm pretty sure that somebody came out later on and said that. I don't know if it was Joaquin or Leaf or one of the one of the children came out and was like that they had been molested at super young ages, yeah, and that was like contributing to why Rufenix like got into the drug scene in the first place because mm-hmm. he was raised in the, the Children of God commune, which is a crazy cult. Like the Family International, it's also called. It's a crazy as religious cult. But yeah, Rufenix, Rufenix, and those dudes, re- really young, you know. You, to to change, do you know what movie I watched? Um, I was telling friends the other day that I'd never fully seen. And I watched it the whole time through. Was Purple Rain, the Prince movie? Like the is it Prince movie? The OG, yeah, it's like the OG. It's where it's where his whole aesthetic comes from. It's where the song Purple Rain comes from. Like, oh. wait, the pur- Purple Rain song came after purple the fact. Rain, yeah, I know that's rain. that's the Prince song that I know. It of. comes from the movie. That's after the fact of the movie. Interesting. No, it's it's it's. At the movie is where the song was created. the The movie, the album, is performed in its entirety in the film. It's a musical film, but it also has like a narrative oh, structure. Oh, it's like the original Eight Mile, basically, except a whole bunch of it 
a whole, a whole bunch of it a whole bunch of it is like um this is a rapper a whole bunch of it is bullshit like in terms of like it's it's semi autobiographical like it takes place in Minneapolis and Prince from Minneapolis it, it has all of the Prince is like the Prince was like the Damon Damon McCabe of Minnesota you know <laughs> he, he like he he created all of the other groups like the rival band in Purple Rain he, that is the rival band to Prince he he created that whole band like he created all the bands around him, he made all of them. There like, you go, David. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Prince, you Prince, brother. No, but like the the <laughs> the the film, the film right has a lot of very very bizarre, like just would not fly anymore. Right, one of my favorite parts of it. So the main the main villain in this movie is a guy called Morris Day, right? So that his band is called Morris Day in the Time. It's like the <laughs> the rival band to Prince's band, right? Prince and the Revolution, right? And when Prince when when Morris Day's character is introduced, he's got like a man. They're always they're dressed real suave. They got mean ass suits. They got epic haircuts. Look like real clean facial hair. And this he's got a main main man like Jerome, who's like a man servant. Like he's in the band as well. Like when they perform, he holds up a mirror so that Morris Day can like comb his hair and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And when they're first introduced, right, they're walking down the street, and this woman pops up and she's like, "Morris, like you, how dare you? You can't sleep with me." And then never phone me again, right? <laughs> and all Morris does is he goes Jerome and he clicks his fingers, and Jerome grabs her and th- like. Dump trucks her head first into a massive bin. Like he just throws, he just, he fully just throws her into this bin. Oh like head first, like really savage. And then just walks away, like clapping his hands. And they like, they like pimp walk away. And she like lifts her head. She's like, oh, Morris. I'm like, oh, God damn. <laughs> like, that oh, would, that's that, worth more than that. I know. And that's what she does. Like, damn, that would not happen now. Like, just <laughs> fully would not happen at all. Oh, my God. And it's, it's pretty funny because like Prince in the movie is like the ultimate cool guy, right? He like, he drives to the gigs on his purple yeah. motorcycle, like right through the crowds. Yeah, He's like, yeah. damn, this guy's a pimp. If that ever happened in public now, you'd be like, Who's that douche on a motorcycle? Like he's about to run people over. Like what's going on? You know? Yeah, there's definitely like a line of like what was acceptable in that time. Oh my god! Like, like a lot of lot of not that they weren't like acceptable. A lot of Michael Jackson videos, like what they were doing at that <laughs> point in time, was like not really something. But that's kind of a trend thing as well. You know, those things yeah. don't necessarily always transpire into to what's happening now. It's mm. so funny. Yeah, I actually um, it's really funny. I actually learned something about, I mean, you know about my Bee Gees fandom, my Barry Gibb fandom. No, it, my Bee Gees fandom. Yeah, bro, I love the Bee Gees, bro. Oh, I don't amazing. give a fuck. Who knows it, man? The legends of the craft. Right. Apparently, Barry Gibb introduced Michael Jackson to marijuana. Yeah. Oh, and, shit. Yeah, and I was like, I didn't even know that, you know. Apparently, he'd be like, yo, Michael, we got to go drive off and during this recording studio. <laughs> Everyone thinks because his pants are all tight, but he's just like <laughs> super blazed. He's actually like sitting down on the floor, like ah. all those, all those, like ah. they're just from him, like <laughs> freaking out. Like he doesn't know what reality he's in. Like ah. I'm staying alive. <laughs> <laughs> Fully staying alive is about like surviving like a wee freak out. Yeah. I'm still on a wee. Pass the joint. <laughs> uh, oh my god, that's, that's 
it's funny so shit. funny. It's funny it's shit. It's funny to think that, like, celebrities interact. Yeah, like, they just snakes <laughs> with each other, right? <laughs> Barry Gibb just rocks just around rock. to Michael Jackson's house, like, what's up, Michael? <laughs> Come on, man. Let's go and smoke this weed. And I got some stuff for you. Oh, my God. Imagine, you've just got, like, hundreds of millions of dollars, and you're just like, you know. I had to go around the corner to buy $50 of weed off this guy, Michael. Like, come smoke this shit with Man, me. My pesky neighbor, Michael Jackson, <laughs> used to come around and grab weed off me. <laughs> Motherfucker, I ain't got any left. Uh, That's so funny, man. I just imagine, it's just hilarious, like, thinking of, like, Michael Jackson riding, like, Heal the World, just, like, blazed as fuck, you know? Have you seen that video of him, like, singing? It's for one of those, like, charity songs where they have, like, multiple artists in the same track. And yeah, a bit for We Are The World, right? Oh, it must have been. Like, mm. when he does his... his we are the world, yeah. we are the children. And there's, like, the, there's a clip with him, he sings, the like, the end of his bit, and then there's other two artists that sing, like, their bit, and they're, like... Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's artists. Huey Lewis and Cindy Lauper, if I've seen the video. <laughs> and he's just like real this. intolerant, eh? Trans. <laughs> <laughs> Michael just gives him the death stare. Yeah. so funny. I've seen those videos, eh? But that's, that's like psycho to think about, like all the context behind that. He's probably like younger than them at that point. Where the World came out in 1985. Oh, he wow. was he was born in 1958, so he's probably like my age. He was like 26 in that video. Right. He would have been re- in re- recording studios for like 20 years at mm. that point. Like that's so fucked up. He would have just the thought of like a child having to be forced to be in a recording studio at like two o'clock in the morning. They're like, "All right, now, Michael, get this motherfucking thing straight, right?" Like, it's, I suppose he had that his whole life, right? Oh, that's because he was like beaten Growing into it, though. The, mm. You know. Like that I don't was, know much about that. Oh, man, that shit's awful. That, that's, that stuff's fucked. Like, that's that's why I kind of struggle with the, like, whole Finding Neverland thing and, like, the the balance between his victims and, or if you want, you know, it's a subjective, but victims and, like, what had happened to him. Mm. Um, and same with R. Kelly in a lot of ways. Like, I've read a lot about R. Kelly. Now, R. Kelly got molested by one of his aunts when he was nine. Yeah. So, like, that's never going to put you on the right foot to have normal sexual interactions with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, but and yeah, it's no justification, but it's it's still it, it's an understanding. Yeah. It's not a justification at all. No, he's still responsible as an adult for his actions. But the Jacksons were like, they grew up in Gary, Indiana, which is like one of the most brutal cities in America. Like it's oh, really? like one of the most. I think it still has one of the highest crime rates in America. Like it's fully savage, and they had a whole bunch of children. Right, I don't even know how. By the end of it, there was like eleven Jacksons or whatever. The Jackson eleven. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't let any of the girls in because there's only men back then, you know. Mm. But his dad was basically like a piece of shit who just was like an alcoholic gambling, like, noticed his kids had a whole bunch of musical talent. It was like, I'm just going to drive you until you get this shit down. That, that's I think that's why he was such good friends with Barry Gibb because that's what happened with their family as well. Like, they started performing when they were like eight mm. and six and their dads were like, you're going to make the money for the family. Like, you're going to write these songs. Like, I'm a dude with frustrated musical aspirations. It's I don't think the Gibbs' dad ever, like, beat them. I think he was just super, like, hard on them. Whereas, like, um, Joe Jackson was, like, fully beating all of them, like, from day one, essentially, kind of thing. Like, I read a story that they were performing in, like, strip clubs and they had an act where Michael would, like, uh, crawl on his hands. He would have been, like, eight or nine. He was performing in strip clubs. 
and he had an act where he would like crawl through the table underneath the tables of these strip clubs and like pretend to look down these women's dresses oh, and that gosh. was part of their act and then they were also super Jehovah's Witness they, they were really fundamental Jehovah's Witnesses and their mother didn't know that had that um their dad was making them perform like or he th- he would say things to them like they're going to perform in kids halls or like for veterans and things like that but he's taking them to strip clubs and all these really messed up places because it sounds like back in the day strip clubs and places were the places that would let children perform because they didn't have any child labour laws and they just they wanted performances in between the strippers kind of thing because the Bee Gees did that as well but yeah, basically they'd go perform, do these performances, and then uh, the dad would be like, don't tell your mother where we've been or I'll beat the crap out of you. And then we'd go back and their mother their mother would be like, don't forget all of these things are super sinful, like sex and um, alcohol and all these things of the world are super sinful. So they're getting like ridiculously mixed messages yeah. from the start of his life. like. And then when they got famous and he was like 12 and his brothers were like 16 or 17, 18 kind of thing, they would all share a room because they wanted them to like, um, like say conserve money so they could make as much money as possible. And they had like groupies, right? Because they're like 16, 17, 18 and they're, they're dudes. They're just, you know, they're getting in the scene or whatever. And Michael's only like 12 and they're sharing the same room. And right. they're basically just to Michael, like turn around and shut up and pretend you're not here. Like, so that's some pretty savage shit to yeah. happen to anybody. Like, and obviously, yeah, like we say, it doesn't excuse what, what may and might not have happened, but it's like, I feel like nowadays it's there's more of an emphasis on understanding why these people of the past or why people of the future have been created the way they are, and that's like super gnarly and I feel like super forgotten, like because of how famous he got when he was old and how influential he mm-hmm. was, like when he was like eighteen plus kind of thing, and how like just massive he was as a marketing tool or whatever. But it's like Jesus, like the first ten, fifteen years of his life are super yeah. fucked that up. Isn't it gnarly how like when you're in the public eye, how much your your persona and your 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 figure, I suppose, is presented, yeah. or how you are so conscious about how you are as a person or what you're doing, especially back then. Oh my goodness! Like because you you are in a sort of a limited category at the time period as well. Like there's obviously an array of excuse me um, artists that are thriving and popular. I don't think is really comparable to today, like the amount of music, oh my goodness, excuse me, that is accessible today yeah. is immensely vast yeah, and, and and obviously superior in that sense to what was happening at the time of Michael Jackson's upbringing. So like to be a celebrity in that, in that point in time is like, Super manufactured for you. Oh my goodness! But you that's have to the, be so aware of what you're doing, and that's what happened. The, that's a pendulum thing, really, isn't it? It's like there was so many years in popular music from, you know, I'd say maybe the start of the grunge era was when it started to slip a little bit. But from like the fifth, from like the Jesus, even from like the twenties, thirties, all the way to like the grunge era, that's a decent like sixty, seventy years. Mm. It's all like. You need a manager and you need PR because you need to be presented this way, you know. Teen idols need to be presented as like chest like chase, like their family kids. They don't indulge in drugs and alcohol. And that's what made them indulge in drugs and alcohol because they're like being forced to do all these things they don't want mm. to. It still happened today, like guys like Justin Bieber and stuff. But he was he's a very old school sort of I feel like he's more of an exception now than a rule. Because the pendulum has swung so much the other way in terms of like Oh, excuse me. 
people because you have a lot of options and how your music is presented and how the platforms are chosen and your image you are able to make an image out of being alternative mm-hmm. and that's where a lot of the grunge influence came from that's why grunge was so massive because it's like these guys are purposely only making three chord songs that anybody can play it's about the image it's about the 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 push away from consumerism <clears throat> or whatever and now it's like the pendulum like like a 6-9 like a fucking 6-9 you take Takashi 6-9 you throw that motherfucker in like 1978 at the mm. same age Jesus Christ like right. obviously it wouldn't it wouldn't be comparable because it, it, the, the whole context of the year and whatever but like he'd be locked up he'd be fully be locked up like they and that's that's what they used to do. They either used to lock you up or push you out of but the those, mainstream those themes, or they'd kill you. Those themes weren't even present at the time. Like no. the difference between Michael Jackson and Sakashi 69 is but that those themes. All those things had to happen for Takashi 69 and um, you know, people like Billie Eilish and a lot of these things where you're shifting away. You still have the musical talent, but you're allowed some sort, even if it's a a lot of the time even the the idea of alternativism is a front, you know, like, um, I don't know, like say something like Lord, who's become popular, obviously based on more of her, she was kind of perceived as a breath of, breath of fresh air, right? Somebody who was creating her own songs and like, you know, whatever, as regardless of what we think about her, the reason that she was popular is because it's like, it's a move away from having songs written for them and being a dancer. Like her her, her yeah. image has never relied on her being a dancer or her being a sexual object or she whatever. Did, she did bring sort of an alternative take to yeah. New Zealand music as Yeah, well. there's more of a dream pop alternative Kate Bushy kind of mm. influence to her music than, say, the Pussycat Dolls. Yeah. And the Pussycat Dolls are only like, what, less than 10 years before her? Mm. And obviously those are all different fields of the pop stream medium. But... All those people had to lay those foundations in order for those people to exist. And I guess someone like Kate Bush is kind of comparable. We talked talked about Kate Bush, I feel like, in the Damon the one with Damon, the podcast way back. So I want to go over that again. But yeah, I don't know. Sorry, folks, my power bank died. I had to reset everything there. We're black and power. Black black oh, Jesus. <laughs> We are back. Plugged We're black in power. power. <laughs> We're good to go. So, what were we talking about? Um, oh, I wouldn't even worry about it. <laughs> that nah, was, that was that's never happened before. In we were um, we're talking about Lord and and whatnot. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like people over. I don't know. I have a I have an interesting sort of perception, I, or I guess rather an outside per- perception when it comes to like what becomes popular within New Zealand music. Because like if you look at you look at an artist like Six Sixty, it's not something that I'm really into, but it's something that New Zealanders really enjoy. Yeah, really get amongst. And I try to figure out what that is, and I think it's I think we do have like a a sense of pride when it comes to New Zealand culture, but I'm not sure like where 660 sort of fits into that. Barbecue like, rock, brother. Barbecue rock. But like what 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 is it about like 660, they're kind of just talking about like and I'm sure people that are fans of 60 would say this thing sort of as well. But it's like it's real shit, you know, it's all about like family and it's all about like real stuff that's relative to people but it's like what is what is it about that that's so new zealand what is it about 660 that in new zealand aside from the fact that they've uh, uh an artist or band that has come up within new zealand and 
you know, like what, what do you think it is about them? And also Lord can come into this argument because she's another artist that has obviously gained an immense popularity mm. through just sort of being a New Zealand artist. Like what is it about their styles that becomes so significant within our culture? I think it's just like, I don't know. I think it's, I feel like there's an aspect of like um, separate New Zealand identities from the North Island, South Island that aren't really ever identified in the New Zealand cultural kind of whole. I feel like a lot of the time, like I feel like 660s music is probably super applicable and like, I know since really, I don't know, to put them in a category of a box of like Auckland, yeah. sunshiny kind of area. I feel like it's probably quite connectable in terms of just like, you know, a lot of music that is played through the radio is designed to be like, to match a mood or a setting, right? And I feel yeah. like a lot of it is very, there's almost a lot of like market-like thinking that goes into the creation of that music. And Do you think they've just sort of like fell into this field? Well, I think they, if you look at the way they started, like a band like 660, they started as like a reggae group, right? Because I guess that was the music they were passionate about, influenced by whatever. And now they're sort of just like a New Zealand attempt at Maroon 5, really, aren't they? <laughs> they're just sort of like a, a, an arena band that, kind of is sort of seems to be fronted by the one guy more than anybody else in the band. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't really know enough about them because I don't really. Nor do I really. And I'm, I'm definitely not the person <clears throat> to speak on them and what they do. It's evident that they are something that us as a country enjoy. Mm. And I am obviously speaking as a whole, not for any individuals, but like generally speaking, you could speak to a lot of people and they would enjoy 660 in some way, shape or form. I wonder if this is like, you know, is is this what we are to expect from any given New Zealand artist to perform in sort of the way, same way successfully? Like how do we change our culture to sort of embrace something more than what someone like that band offers? How do we embrace something that is more in a broad sense? I feel like a lot of what, our country is based around is rugby culture and mm. farming culture. I think in terms of the music scene, I think it's... Not that they are bad things. No, no, no. Just, but I understand what you mean. Yeah. The, the, I think... <coughs> God damn it. It's a smoky night, eh? I think in terms of the music culture, there's a lot of short-sightedness when it comes to the popular music of New Zealand in terms of how it is perceived legacy-wise, you know? Like... The Dunedin sound is actually ridiculously influential outside of New Zealand in a lot of ways, like um, in like the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Like I met a guy at a party, um, oh, maybe I don't know, middle of last year, um, who moved from um, Palisades Park in Los Angeles in California. He moved specifically to Dunedin because he grew up listening to like the clean straight jacket fits and all these Dunedin sound bands, like mm. going to Dunedin was like his Seattle, right. which is, and it, which is, which was crazy. Like, That's and him fully, crazy. I like him fully. I thought he was pulling my, I'm like, really? He's like, no, like I fully wanted to be where these guys created this music from. Cause like Holy my shit. dad just introduced me to this music. And it was like my whole, my whole introduction to That's international world music. It seems like it's unheard of. But I've also met other people that have been in the States and in those parts of the world and been like, yeah, like you tell people you're from Dunedin specifically, you tell people that you're from New Zealand and they're like, yeah, the clean, straight jacket fits, like the Mutton Birds, all of these bands from like the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, oh, which is fucking crazy. 
And I think that like that still that that element still kind of exists underlying in New Zealand. It's just that it's never those bands were never particularly chart hits, chart like toppers in um in New Zealand anyway, even when they were popular internationally or popular in like a club scene or whatever. And so I feel like I feel like six sixty is definitely it's a bit of a it's a bit of a like a tall poppy thing in New Zealand where it's like they've become so large within New Zealand that a lot of people have just turned off to them in terms of what their legacy is going to be in the future because they have been ordained or chosen as like the sort of radio torch holders in New Zealand, you know what I mean? Like, And I think that that's something that probably happened in the past as well. But whether or not those bands have like kind of stayed in the zeitgeist or not is a different story. Like, um, like bands like True Bliss and stuff, I remember True Bliss those girl bands and stuff being really like popular slash their music was played all the time on the radio, but they're not really, they're not, the legacy of what the music means isn't necessarily going to be pushed any further than their immediacy right now, you know, like, or there would be, there would be times where you, I, you know, I remember listening to radio growing up and being like thinking that lots of songs were international songs and they weren't, they're actually from New Zealand. Like, um, that for today song, you know, for today, mm. that song was recorded in Dunedin, mm. you know, and like lots of people probably didn't know that because it's just like, it's prominently, it's part of the zeitgeist, it's part of the music, you know, that other song like, Maxine, dun, 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 you're not the only one, I always thought those were always like international songs and they're mm. just, they're just random as New Zealand recorded songs, you know, Yeah. <coughs> but I guess because like, maybe New Zealand music is going through um, particularly in like the 1980s in Australia, lots of Australian bands started becoming really popular, like In Excess. Um, Are they Australian? Surely you knew that. Sorry, I, that might be stupid. Surely but... you knew that In Excess were from Australia. Wow, I did not. Really? In Excess are probably like Australia's one of their biggest bands, I'd say. In Excess, um, Men at Work. Men at Work have like... I just consume music as like a whole... <laughs> yeah, bro. I really I don't look at like where they come from, I don't bro. look... I don't look at like... I just take it in, bro. I don't look at nationality, bro. I don't. <laughs> nah, um, nah, but like, yeah. Like uh, Men at Work, In Excess, Cold Chisel, Midnight Oil, friggin' all these bands just randomly in the, from Australia just started dominating in like Britain and America. And I feel like maybe... That has sort of started to happen in New Zealand, but like very piecemeal. Like you got Fly the Concords kind of breaking through a little bit. Like I know their music is a piss take, but they had a the Crowded House, another example from the eighties as well. That they're, was what I they're in New Zealand. They're an Australian band, but they have New Zealanders. The New Zealanders, but oh, really? well, the the Fly the Concords. Yeah, I mean it's funny because people. I feel like people really underlook how big Fly the Concords were in making New Zealand culture bigger overseas like mm. there i remember getting buying their album that was the songs from the first season of the television show and that was that went to number three in the united states on their oh, like shit. on their hot 100 chart it was the highest charting album by new zealanders since crowded house and it was also the highest charting album by a band that was comprised fully of new zealanders you know and then brent and mckenzie is that meme culture like is that but that was before meme culture, bro. But still, that was two thousand and seven. Like, but like, is that is that where it all comes from? You know, like, like, was the reason that they were popular was because there was humor involved? Probably, but the reason that they were also popular was because there was humor, but it was well crafted humor. You know, like 
there was humor, but the music itself was well recorded and it involved a range of instruments. Like think of that song like Prince of Parties. You're like, I'm the freaky Prince of Parties. Honestly, not super familiar. Anyway, people that listen will will know Prince of Parties. People 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 that have ears. No, no. No. But like Prince of but it's got like sitars in it. It's got like it's it's fully a pastiche. Like it's fully a late 1960s song, but made with humor and made well. And right. it doesn't, so it didn't really matter if it was a piss take or not. Like they still, it was made by Sub Pop, which is like a pretty influential label in Seattle. So like they obviously were like, this is funny, but you guys are actually also fucking quite good at playing instruments. Like mm. you can, you can make a legitimate album out of this, you know? Um, and like Brett McKenzie was in like the Black Seeds and stuff like that. So he was from real bands. But yeah, some of it is meme culture, but and I think some of it's also part of that exotic exoticness as well. Mm. You know, like that seems to be. I know the United States and Britain kind of tend to drive music trends or whatever, but because it's like it's like things like Shaggy, you know, yeah. Shaggy. You know? <laughs> so I just well, wanted to do well, that in the mic one time. <laughs> I did that off. That was awful. Can I try that again? Shaggy. Shaggy. That was a bit better. What's his What's his name from? What are the two guys in Fly the Concords? Brent McKenzie and Jermaine, Jermaine Clements. I was going to say, I knew it was Jermaine. Well, he's had a pretty prolific oh, career. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah. Movie career, he, yeah. yeah. Like that obviously derived from their popularity. Yeah. Brent McKenzie won an Oscar. No shit. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote, the, he wrote the, um, the main song from the Muppets movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So like those dudes, those dudes have, you know, my claim, my low-key New Zealand claim to fame is making Brent McKenzie laugh, by the way. Is that right? I'll take that to my grave. Time and place, please. Fanboy, baby. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just love Brett McKenzie. <laughs> no, um, nah, I was just at a at a gig that Brett McKenzie. It was called the Caravan of Caravan of Animals. I think it was called. It was like Brett McKenzie, and then a whole bunch of dudes from like Fly My Pretties and Trinity Roots and some other New Zealand bands made like just a a band and just decided to tour around, and. Yeah, Brett McKenzie was one of the main guys that was in it or whatever. And um yeah, I <laughs> yeah, sad days. I was just like talking to I was at, I was there with Jake Massey actually, and I said I was kind of standing in front of Brett McKenzie. Cause everyone was going I, I saw him, I'm like, I'm not gonna go over and talk to him and ask for a photo because people were doing that. I'm like, that's just First of all, I don't care about Brute McKenzie enough for that. <laughs> and second of all, like, I don't want to be that dude. He's just going up like, what? why do you want a photo of Brute McKenzie? Like, he doesn't know you. What the fuck? Um, well, fuck. No, I just, no, no, no. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, I, <laughs> I know, I know. Why would I get a photo of Shaq? <laughs> no, he doesn't know who I am. No, I know, I know, I know. But I just mean, like, Brute McKenzie isn't Shaq, though, is it, you know? Who who has, who has like, who idolised Brute McKenzie growing up, you know? Probably nobody. But anyway... Sorry, Brett. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> DM me. No. Um. But yeah, I just made a joke to next to Jake, and then um, Jake laughed really loudly, and then Brett McKenzie must have heard the joke, and then I turned my shoulder, and Brett McKenzie's making direct eye contact with me. He's laughing. I was like, <laughs> I like that. You're a fucking funny guy. Oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Dude? I don't even remember. It was just some really like bad, it was like a purposely bad joke, <laughs> like just something that would make Jake laugh. But he must have just I must have said it so loudly, and Jake must have just laugh so loudly that he'd heard it as well. Because at first I thought like maybe he's having a conversation with somebody, he's laughing, mm. but he was fully like standing on his own. So okay. yeah, yep. That's so. Good. But anyway, I'm basically the third member of Flutter. <laughs> I think if they ever come back together and make another album. 
I think we all know who deserves the third part of the royalties. What was their inevitable demise? I think they just didn't want to do it anymore. They probably just... I know that they made... The first season of that show, they made the episodes around based around the songs that they had already created for their stage show. So they already had a whole bunch of songs. Like they... they it already all the big one like biz, it's business time and all those other songs they'd been playing those for ages like fucking like five years or whatever and then it was only supposed to be one season the show and then it ended up being so popular that like can you make a second season and they're like yeah I suppose but in the second season they had to write all the songs for the second season that's why like um, there's a song that like um, Kristen Charles character Meg sings and there's like more songs sung by um fucking Reese Darby's character, stuff stuff like that. They obviously just didn't they, – they weren't inspired to write the music. They were just doing it because they were getting paid, I think. Right. And then after the second season, they're like, no, we don't want to do it anymore. I didn't realise it was a show, actually. No, fuck off. No, you're fully living under a rock. <laughs> I didn't. No, grow up, dude. What was it You called? didn't know that Fly the Congress had a television show? No. Oh, fuck off. You're pulling my lead. <laughs> No, I'm oh my god, bro! What was it called? Follow the Concords. Uh-huh. It was m- no, fully. You're pissing with me. <laughs> pissing with me. Fully, you're holding my. You're, you're holding my. On me, bro. You're holding my dick while I piss, bro. Honestly. <laughs> no. No, I I didn't know there was a TV show. <laughs> no. No, no, you're actually kidding. No. Oh my god, brother, <laughs> brother. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, nah, fully though. Yeah. Follow the Concords show. What was it? Based that was mad. That's what made them so big. Oh, it was an HBO tele. Nah, you're fucking with me. Oh, it was massive. It was massive. I'm sorry, bro. Hey, I want people to call in, <laughs> and I want you to, I want you to tell us about your father Congress meetings. Nine one one, nine one six. Yeah, nine one six, nine one six, nine one six. No, I, no, I, I no. Oh, two seven five 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 five. No, no, um, cinco, cinco, cinco. No, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, nah, damn, that blew my mind for real. Yeah, dude, I, you need to go home and watch the Father Congress television show. Okay, fine. I know you probably won't. <laughs> but no, you, definitely but you should. <laughs> I can't I believe that. Would. That was that was literally what made the mess on HBO. How did yeah. we see it? It was on. Uh, it was shown on prime television. Mm. It was like far out. What What was the premise of the show? Nah. <laughs> um, they <laughs> They were living in an apartment in New York, and they were broke New Zealanders, and they were making. They were playing shit like they'd play. No, fully, fully. You're taking the piss. Reese Darby was their manager. No, it's Murray. His name Liam. was Murray. I've never seen this. You've never seen a single clip from the Flood of the Conversation Show. I've never seen anything of what you've You've never seen Reese Darby as Murray Hewitt, their manager. I have not. You don't know that that's why Reese Darby became famous. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. Shut the show down. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. No, No, legitimately, I've never. Damn. Is that how Reese Darby came to to fame? Oh, shit, yes. Because I could really give a fuck about it. Yeah, I mean, Grease Darby sucks, but <laughs> but that was definitely how they became. I mean, I feel like I'm coming off as a massive Flower Congress fanboy, but I'm really not. I just remember them being everywhere when I was an intermediate. When was this? Like 2007 would have been the first season? 2008 would have yeah, been the next nah, one? I, I wasn't, damn, bro. I wasn't even a functional person at that age. God damn. What? You were a functional person? It's not like, well, I'm a subject to what my parents put on the television at the time, not what I'm in the echo chamber nah. of. Just you know. constant midsummer murders over there. <laughs> um, I didn't even know what I was doing when I was year seven, bro. I'm you're blowing my mind. 
I'm 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 gonna look up this television show. I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not shocked by the concept. I've just never actually watched. No, I know. I've just never. I've just never. I don't think I've met a New Zealander that didn't know they had a television show. Hmm. That's uh, you pull my pisser, mate. I'm not pulling your pisser. I'm not tugging on your wing. <laughs> twenty two episodes. That the show received twenty two. Yeah, well, two the, that's why I never heard two of it. Two seasons. Oh. The, the show received ten Emmy award nominations. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> You're like mad about it, like oh god, these sons of bitches. Oh man, that um, damn, wow. I've Died at twenty three. I've <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Damn, bro, I'm like fully, I'm gobsmacked. Oh fuck, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> real, be that big. No, no, I know it's not. I just. I thought I knew you, bro. No. <laughs> How full is your cup right now? Um, it could be filled. Do you want some more? Yes. You do your thing. <laughs> you want some more? Thanks, yeah, bro. No, I'll just take that. But anyway, what 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 else has been going on, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who doesn't listen, that's that's what I say to Kieran more than anything else. So what's been happening? Oh, do you want another as well? Yeah, I have a wee bit more. Yeah. What's been what's been going on in your wheelhouse? In my wheelhouse, bit of a. But a uni. I'm waiting to hear when your album is coming out. Mm. That's the only question I want to know. Ooh. When is Liam Dow? What is your What is your even What is your persona? Are you Liam Dow? I'm the third member of the Flight of the Concords, bro. <laughs> but are you Liam Dow or are you fraudulent? Mm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a 13th century Gothic romantic vampire stuck in a 26 year old Southern New Zealander's body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Yeah. I long for the long dark nights where I can feast on the blood of virgins. Jeez. <laughs> no. Um damn, you you handed me a loaded gun there, bruv. What do well, you Well, I mean, fuck. Pull finger, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shot man. No, I'm no, waiting to it, I'm mate. waiting to use these microphones. I know you you have some talent in those fingers. <laughs> when are you gonna put it in action? <laughs> uh. Are you romancing me? Maybe. Um, <laughs> nah. Um, I don't know, man. I just need to. I need to like get a setup like you've got, you know. In terms of like, um, I need to get a job that allows me to progress. Because I'm progressing, I'm just doing it like at the level that my like money allows me to, right. and timing allows me to, and Jesus, education <laughs> allows me to, etc. Every other time I've gotten a job, it's been like 40 hours and then I end up going back to uni or traveling or doing, you know. So I still got, I got lots of songs. I got songs with Cam. I got songs with guys Shane. I got songs with lots of people. I got my own songs. I got lots of, I got fucking, I got at least 120 demos on my can I, computer. Can I put you on the spot though? Yeah. Can I put you on the spot? When do you not put me on the spot? Well, like, okay. So you and I have, like, I know you to be someone that's prevalent in music and someone that's always been passionate about music and mm. someone that's done music for as long as I can recall and you know how to play the guitar better than anyone that I know. That's, I mean. I'll take that one, bro. I mean, that's not necessarily true. No, it is, bro. You can play guitar very well. Thank and you. you can put a song together. But, you know, when have you ever been, when have you ever said to me, 
I'm sorry, this is very blunt. No, you can and do you it. You will take what you will, and I know you, and I know how you can take this sort of thing. But when have you ever said to me, here's a finished product? Yeah. When is well, that I don't. Happen? That's my problem. My problem is... What's, what's the... My problem is that I am best motivated to finish musical pieces and to put full effort into musical pieces when I'm surrounded by other people that want to finish and put full effort into musical pieces, you know? I have a whole bunch of fractured bits of songs and I have a whole bunch of things. I have a whole bunch of completed songs. I've just never... The times when I've gotten past... You know, the times when I play live or play with groups or whatever, or have jams and I can bring them out or whatever, have been either amongst people that I inherently trust and not judge me for putting those songs forward or when I feel like I can actually trust them to have some sort of humbleness about their own creations to be like, oh, I think I can add this to it to flesh it out this way, right? And all the other people that I've done that with have either moved away or form bands in other in other groups or whatever. I'm just not very quick to the draw in forming groups. It's been my biggest problem, really. And well, well, and I just... Is, is it a necessity? No, it's not a necessity. I just... No, it's not a necessity. I just need to... I think that if I had to say that there was two things that were holding me back from completely finishing these songs and making like a full EP out of it, would be a better computer and... Well, that's a fucking given. Yeah. Bro, your laptop is fucking like 20 years old. Yeah. And like just a, like, I almost sometimes wish that I had a, a genre of music that I just like frothed on, you know, had to use that word, but just like a, if I was just like a completely alternatively minded guy, right? Whenever I've been in groups and it starts, the music starts getting heavier, or you're doing, you're having jams and it starts getting heavier. I like it, but I feel like the biggest element that I can bring into my own music or group music is melody or vocal structure or like tone or pitch, right? And then lots of the time when you're having jams or whatever, you can't like form that, you know. So that's the biggest part of it, really. But I don't know. I think that um. It's uh, it's there. It's coming. It's coming. I know I say that all the time, but it's uh, it is, and I just need to, I need to get like a a session almost, you know, just like a like a two three day thing where I just completely finish out because a lot of like literally eighty percent of it is done, fully eighty percent of it is done. An EP. Yeah, like there's guitar tracks there. There's vocals. There's multi track vocals. A lot of it just needs drum data to it, which was a lot of what Cam would do with his with his demos as well. A lot of the music that I, or a lot of the music I would make with Cam, he would fully flush the like bass synth drum parts of it out, and then I would do guitar, bass, vocal parts of it. You know, but it's just the laptop thing is a big one. The laptop thing is a big one. Okay. So where do, where does it? You've probably said this already. I'm just I just not I'm just where not does it stop. Where does it stop for you? <laughs> What's the next step? Okay, let's go this way. If I was to have one musical ambition, it would be to have a vinyl product of my own music created at some stage in my life that I could like just look at and be like, this is something that I did. And to, like, like, like making your own book. Yeah. It doesn't have to be autobiographical or whatever. But the problem is, I talk about this with, um, with Lachlan and other people that I write with and, and whatnot, is that... 
Whenever I fucking want to write something, it's always I'm always somewhere completely fucking random. Like being on top of a hill or walking the dog or just doing something random as. And I'll be like the whole verse. I'll be in my sleep sometimes. Like a whole verse and song, chorus will just come. And I just won't be around to capture it. Like I'll write it or sing it into my phone or sing it into a, a snippet. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking, that's mean. Like that's almost epic in its raw form. And then some time will pass. I'll go back to it in like five days and be like, I hate this. I'll just stop. I'll just leave it. And it's still there. I'll just leave it. So I don't know. I just, I've just always battled between whether I even actually care about it being heard by anybody else. That's the biggest part of it. Like, because the worst thing to me, being in bands is super fun, right? Performing in music is super fun. Even performing in shows where I've just performed is super fun. It's fucking nerve wracking, but it's super fun. But at the end of the day, I also know a lot of people that get like frustratingly constrained by playing the same song over and over and over. And every time when I've taken a break from performing live has been for me being like, I don't want to fucking perform this anymore. And that's almost what stops it for me is it's like, it's almost special to create something that's just like a minute, two minute, three minute snippet with layers and layers that you can look at and sometimes you're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. But putting it out there, having other people appreciate it for a period of time and then necessarily being forced to play it and play and play it just doesn't appeal to me. Like I fully just don't, I'm not that keen on that. Like it's just not something, if it was in a band context, then I'd be keen on it because at least you have like other people around to be like, oh, they can they can talk. You know, if, if you were to be like release something and then I was to come out here and be with a group, at least somebody else could speak or they could have their own perspective on it or they could share the brunt of like whatever the piece of art is turned into you can share it between yourselves or whatever but i don't know i don't know it's hard questions loaded question it is but, but it's not it's not and it's not that it's not going to happen and i've like that's why i don't i don't think it's not going to happen it's just more about like getting the pieces together being in the right environment to get those pieces together and just fucking actually just being in a conscious state to just commit to it like just be like it's created once it's fully formed you just let, you just fucking take hands off of it and it's out there would you say then that you were reliant on others to <coughs> create something of your own I'm not reliant on others to create something of my own I'm just reliant on the feedback that other people who understand what you're trying to create provides to the creative process does it have to be in a band context <coughs> no it doesn't have to be in a band context but it's a lot harder to get other people invested in the stuff that you create if they didn't have a hand in creating it in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not impossible, but it's harder. And then that's why I've got a lot of really good friends and a lot of good mates that I collaborate with and I've helped create songs with, you know, or create, like even the other, um, last Friday when I played a gig last Friday, um, my mate, I helped him finish off, like, you know, he wrote this, he wrote the song, give him credit for writing the song. But if you were to look back on it and be like, who wrote the song? It's like 50-50. But I don't consider it to be me writing the other 50% because it was his concept and I came in and helped him fine-tune it, right? But you, but you, do you want that? Do you want your soul creation to be put forward? But, well, I don't know. I don't know because I've never experienced it. I just, I just, it's hard for me to put myself in somebody else's shoes and be like, <clears throat> you know, I admire people like... um like like D Stevens or like Adelaide or um, Mackenzie or somebody that can like just put it forward there 
But what I'm seeing from them is the 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 very like they put a lot of work into where they are, right? And they put a lot of um you know they put a lot of collective integrity into what they created. And I can definitely I I can do that. I can see that I could see myself doing that. It's just where the fact do I start from that is basically been the problem, you know. I don't really want to I don't I think it's the feeling of like working on something for ages, creating it, feeling really good about it, and then it's just ignored. They're just not keen on. I'd rather it just not exist outside of a circle of friends than for me to create it and it's just completely ignored. But doesn't that bring more pure, organic art as opposed to something that is, you know... Yeah, commercial or for consumerism or whatever. Or not even necessarily that, just something that is brought to fruition and then you know, uh, further developed by someone that has some input, which is which is obviously valid in most circumstances, is to have someone that can add some, shed some light on a situation, but wouldn't you want something that has brought from something that is purely you, that is purely Liam, that comes to light? Yeah. That way? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. <clears throat> yeah. But I also think that my relationship with music has been like um, I spent a long time learning bits about music or myself or whatever, however I feel about music um, and it being guided for a long time that it almost fucked me up in terms of being like, you know, I feel like people who say, say they – they spent their teenage years being in like rock quests and things where they were promoted as like, um, you know, it's like they've got a group together or themselves or somebody's somebody's selected as like the driver of an idea or a piece of art or music or whatever. And then they're pushed or like even subconsciously supported to keep going into their like young adulthood with, you know, through that, like someone like Damon kind of thing, you know, just, I know I keep bringing him up, but that's, that's an, uh, that's like a, an immediate example that I could think of. Was I spent a lot of the time early on with my relationship with music remaining amongst myself because I didn't feel that I was ever in an environment, especially in our high school, where the teachers or the people around me would be receptive. Even though we had someone like Kane Strang, because Kane Strang was somebody that I definitely looked at because he went to a high school and he was like killing it super young. And I was like, this guy has fucking, he knows what he, what he wants or he's going for what he wants. Whereas... I had a little bit of that originally, but then it was just kind of felt like it got pushed aside. And then that's just kind of influenced everything from now. And it's sort of negative. It is what it is, but I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a position now where I'm probably in the best time to actually just put all my shit out there now because I've created a good group of people that would be supportive of it. It's just like actually committing to that is the hard thing. I agree. And not having a genre. That's the biggest part of it. Like I don't feel like... Every time I've ever written music with somebody or created music with somebody or whatever, it's always been like other people would hear it and be like, what's that genre? I'm like, fuck it. I don't know. Like, I, I, I really dislike the concept of a genre or like a sound because all of music is, influ- is just influences on influences on influences. Like that's the same with art really, isn't it? Like mm. your art might have a general tone to it, but like who the fuck is someone to say that like the music you created is psychedelic or, you know. Yeah. I just don't like playing the the game. I think I agree, that's. I agree with that. 
I I do agree with that. I feel like also um, what you could class as something that is, you know, you, you could you could feel like your music could be defined by something, um, some sort of category, but I feel like that's also inevitable and I feel like that's part of the process of accepting what your work is. It's just being like it is what it is and if it's put into a category, then it's put into a category. I feel like if anything becomes vital, if anything becomes important in that process, it's your vulnerability. And I feel like someone like you in particular, like I don't mean to to to, to put daggers in your back or put you in the deep end, but I feel like someone like you needs to express your vulnerability because that will realistically emerge Inside of yeah. you, that is something that is is unique and is something that is diverse from the rest. Because, you know, like how how is any anything going to be pure and organic if you're relying on others to bring something to, yeah. to light? You know, like oh, I feel like you as an artist needs to just put something for light. It doesn't matter whether whether something needs to be to be brought to an end. Like like obviously there's a point where your your sound needs to become something that is that sounds good. Take the commercial aspect out of it. Something needs to sound good on all platforms that needs to be inputted at some point. But mm-hmm. your vulnerability vulnerability sorry i really struggle to say that word your vulnerability is something that is key into defining you as an artist if you can portray that aspect of you of you that's going to separate you from the rest don't look at someone else based on what they do to succeed i know you have to look at what is is what is in your wheelhouse and what you can put forward to separate for you from the rest because I know yeah. you have that. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, and, and I know that I have it as well. But I think like there's something to there's something to acknowledge in collaboration in a lot of ways. Like I'm not saying that it has to be a collaboration, like an uh, like an explicit collaboration. I'm not saying it has to be a group thing or like explicitly a partner thing or whatever. I just feel like a lot of the development that happens behind the scenes for a lot of people, even the people that you're seeing individually represented in music, isn't it's never it's never done on your own. Even like it's very rarely done on your own, you know? Like I know it looks like for a lot of people that it's done on their own because it's like they created the the artwork or they mastered it or they recorded it in their bedroom or whatever. It still requires a support base of people to get to that point or to have the confidence to be like you know, I'm sure that there's a whole bunch of people out there once they've created the the piece of music or the EP or whatever that are like, right, these are the people that I want to have a response to this music. Even if they don't, you're still looking for that kind of acknowledgement from those people, right? I, I disagree. But I but it depends on but we're talking it depends on what medium we're talking about here, right? Like the 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 self consciousness of a of an individual for a piece of their art is totally variable, right? And it's not even necessarily a confidence question. It's more of like a like a like an integrity question. You know, you want you want what you're putting forward, your best foot forward, to be the best foot forward that you possibly can. And sometimes you need to look at yourself, you need to look at like what you can create and decide whether it's better to put the the front foot forward immediately or to wait until you have created what you want to represent you 
to start it out because the, th- the first thing you make, like you say, it's important to just get it out there because it is important to just get it out there. But it is also important that you're confident and you feel happy with what you created because as soon as it's created, even if you have a minute audience, that's still going to be an impression that you're creating with your art. Yeah. And if you and if you're not happy with that, then I'm sure you know this as well. You can create something and have you could have as many people as you want because I've had to happen to me like in live performance music, people blow smoke up your ass, but it's not if you're not feeling it and you're not actually feeling that response from yourself, it doesn't really matter what anybody else has said to you about yeah, it. But if, but if you're if you're if you're feeling what <coughs> what you're doing and it's it's derived from from other people that have been involved in the work that you're doing, like you're feeling something you're doing and it's being amplified by something someone else, something else or someone else, and that and that thing is coming to light, you're getting recognition for that thing. Is that thing really true to you, or are you just throwing off? For the fact that someone else is being influenced by your art and it's becoming to like through that like are you are you ever really going to be satisfied by something that you can produce that is reliant on others to be able to put the tick next to the box but some people are happy with that though like i'm not saying that i'm not saying that i'm a complete band person or a complete artist person i'm just saying that you you don't necessarily always need to be in the, and particularly in music, you don't always need to be in the driver's seat in order to, for your contribution to feel like it was significant to yourself or to others. Yeah. Because if it was like that, then there wouldn't be any bands because nobody would nobody would form together because it would just be egos clashing against each other because you want your own representation all the time. And I understand that it's important to like have the 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 complete picture of your own contribution to whatever, whether you put it for yourself or to a band or whatever. But you just want your idea driven yeah, by by something or by something. It doesn't even need to be by, it doesn't necessarily be, need to be by others. I think that's what's getting lost in this. So not necessarily waiting for a band scenario. Mm. It's just that sometimes when the individual work is pushed towards somebody else that understands where you're coming from, that can push it back into your court and then you can push it back out into the public, you know? Like, having it fine-checked slash understood by somebody who understands the emotional feelings of having something you've created put forward is massive, right? Like, having the having those little conversations with other musicians or other artists or whatever are, like, hugely significant. And that's... I I feel like a lot of my time up until now has been getting that from other people because I didn't get that in a developmental stage when I was younger because I was in a box mm. because I didn't produce an instrument I didn't I didn't produce music with an instrument I produced music with with a voice or with mm. you know acting or a sound or something like that and like I don't you know I don't want to be somebody that's like blaming other groups of people because it's not that's not how it is but it took me a while to find my feet in terms of the people that I was comfortable with being artistic with or being musical with. So I'm sure you found that as well because we came from the same group of the same, you know, we grew up in the same area with the same group of friends, et cetera, et cetera. There's something to be said about having the incubation of a group of people that are creative around you that push you to want something for yourself. Absolutely. You know, and yeah. that's and that's what's still brewing now and it's still there. It's just like I need to be in the environment to – Fully flesh the the music to us to a state that I'd want it to be really like I wouldn't want to release it in a demo form like I could some people do some people do put things out on SoundCloud and 
and demo forms and stuff, and that's fine. That's their decision. I don't I don't have anything against that. But I prefer my first representation of whatever I created to be finer tuned, and having other musicians contribute to that is helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I need to pee again. I'm sorry. Oh, actually, this son of a bitch. Huh? This guy and his bladder. You know? All right. You ask me. You ask me questions, man. I'm gonna ask you a question, dog. Go ahead. What's going? On? What's going on with the art? When can we expect uh, another exhibition? Oh uh, yeah, that does it put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, I've been. Oh god. Uh, I want to do it. I'm waiting for the right place. I guess. Ah, oh, I see. Yeah. I'm waiting for someone to come with me to me with the answer. No, I I have got some places in mind. I've been trying to figure out how to negotiate with these people, how to do something with the space that they can offer to me. So, um, what? is it? Is it? Uh, I want to say online. I want to say it, but Olga, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I was I, gonna say it, but I was like, should I? I don't know. I really like the space that they have there. I really like Justin. He's a really nice. Forty percent commission. I'm not sure what the commission is, and we probably shouldn't step into that. But um, it's a really nice space that they have there. Um, it's not huge, but it's something I could work with. What other pla- what other spaces? What other spaces are there? Well, that you could actually realistically. Are there any like new spaces? That's the problem with Dunedin. Is that I, I'm finding it's hard to actually come to <coughs> actually find out what places I can use in that capacity. Um, there is a space on Princess Street that I'm quite interested in, which is where the subway is, and it's right next to like the Turkish place there. There's like, there's the like, subway is. There's DOS in the subway and there's, there's like Oh, a yeah, the, the learning development centre, the downstairs part. <coughs> yeah. The part the part where they always have the French Festival exhibitions. Mm, no, but on the other <coughs> side of the street. Other side of the street. There's like no, 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 no. I don't mean where the French Festival office is. Next to the night and day. You mean like right next to DOS and subway, yeah? Mm. Yeah. They, they, it's like an empty space and whenever there's a French festival, they have like random ass exhibitions in there. Oh, okay. The, um... Had like Dunedin a, Dream broke brokerages in there a lot of yeah. the time. Oh right, okay. Well, that space is is cool, and I have seen an art exhibition in there um, as of the last six months, maybe. And they had some. They had like a um, African. Ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was for the French festival or yeah. for something. I I never checked that out. You know where they need to make a space? I reckon is the Fortune Theatre. Hmm. Or they need to do something with the Fortune Theatre because yeah, that's definitely. fucking big old waste space. Yeah. Sammy's as well. Yeah. Well, but there's been a whole bunch of isn't. well, there's been a whole bunch of um um appeals to the council about what to do with Sammy's. I think there was a there was a um, uh, there was a submission to make it into like another a theatre space, like a single use theatre space, but I don't think it was approved because the council was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of other places to have theatre and whatever. Right. And so they're like, well, why don't you make like a multi... The guy, Scott Muir, who used to own... Um, he's kind of Dineen. He's the manager of the Chills. He's on the Vogel Street Party Committee with me. Um, he used to own Refuel and stuff. Right. He wanted. He made a submission to them to be like, 
turn it into a multi-purpose, like make it a venue again, but also like seatless so that you can turn it into like a, a theatre stage. You can turn it into like an art exhibition gallery, a fashion place, whatever. Mm. I don't know how it's going. I don't think it's going very well. Yeah, I, I'm not involved in that so much, but I don't know. For, for something that I'd want to do, um, I think that I... Yeah, I honestly it's hard. I I don't really know where to go. Um, there's a couple of place, spaces in town that I've I've been to exhibitions and I've quite enjoyed the the space and I've quite enjoyed the just the general environment and I suppose aesthetic of the of the building, which has been which has been nice. But nothing that I've really you know jump for joy I suppose um, yeah Olga would, Olga would be one that I would like support just in terms of a gallery that is available and a space that I could really put something into but um unfortunately it's not it's not a, a very big space so is that place in the Cromwell building still like opposite across the road from bloke it's like a um, next to the Harcourt or the Edinburgh or the Harcourts, whatever oh, it is. Oh, the Artist Gallery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's called, yeah. Is that a place or is I, that kind of like a bit snooty? I, I, I'm not sure. I've never I've never spoken to anyone involved in that space. I've often walked past it and thought that is quite nice. I think I remember it. Inside. I think I remember hearing from people being like they do, like they have quite a steep commission and that they also aren't, big on having people they don't know there right. but like they could go for any art gallery really what about the blue oysters art space yeah what are they yeah, like i'm i'm very interested i feel in like they do different well. things yeah um i feel like blue oyster is definitely a space that i could feel like i could fit some work into um but i think the premise of what the boy blue oyster gallery does is more involved around how they can evolve Involve themselves with the artists, yeah. Rather than having, but are you against rather that? than being like this is a space for um, exhibition? Exhibit. This is like how can we work with you to develop a, a theme or an idea? I'm definitely opposed to that idea. Um, but the the reality for me at the moment is that I have x amount of work that kind of just needs to be exhibited, um, not and on. kind of needs to be done this year. Um, I feel like I'm at a point with my work where it needs to be, it needs to be put forward. Yeah, I don't have time to to, to work on it. anything new now. At least this year, um, if there was something that propped up next year and there was concept at hand, I would potentially be intrigued at that. But I would still feel like I need to accomplish something now. Are there online gallery spaces that you can just like? Are there? Because I know that Caitlin and Jonas. Uh, the owners of Adieu, they were looking at making a, another business selling art online, right? Is there a... Have you ever heard of people in Dunedin or New Zealand having connects to post art online, like internationally or within yep. New Zealand? Like, Because yep. apart from your own stuff, excuse me, <coughs> apart from your own stuff, <clears throat> yeah, like is there... Is there like an artist collective website or like a, anybody that is known for exhibiting or displaying people's artwork? I feel like the art community would have a whole bunch of places for obscure artists to go, but maybe they don't. Um, I think that living in where we live 
does restrict us a wee bit. I wasn't really... Does it matter for online, I though? I wasn't really too aware of what was available to an artisan to need up until recently until I had someone that had stayed here for a while and, and lived with me um, to be able to commute with that person and, and, and discover what was actually available to someone <coughs> in any given city. And this person that I had spoken to that had stayed with me, we were obviously talking about what they were doing in Auckland um, at the time and and that was honestly pretty eye-opening because what they were displaying to me was something that was really not unheard of because I can understand the concept but not something was ever actually put forward to me as a Dunedin artist, I suppose, or something yeah. that was available. Obviously, this is Auckland's that's, like that's, twelve different cities put together. Yeah, 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 and obviously that concept is understandable, and I can get on board with that easy enough. But that thing is not something that is is in the general sphere of what is available available to yeah. a Dunedin artist. So that concept appeals to me definitely. Um, I just feel like I would have to. I hate to use the word network, but I feel like I would have to sort of somewhat network with people more that are, I suppose, invested or uh, are in the same stratosphere of what <coughs> I'm doing as an artist because I feel like what I'm doing, and I, I hate to say this because it, it can be con- construed in many different ways, but I feel like what I'm doing as an artist or what I'm doing as a painter is reasonably unique, um, stiffly drawn from different different uh, points aspects. of interest yeah. aspects. You know, like it's derived from something, but what I'm doing as a whole is is reasonably separate, partially unique to what is what else is happening in Dunedin. Yeah. So I feel like my art could be pushed or presented in different places in different capacities which would be more broadly accepted which I'm definitely open to but um, I also want I feel like I need to push my art into the sphere that it is in now you know what we need to do we need to go up to obviously we need to work within the Dunedin community obviously I'm a very Dunedin community proud person Thank you, but we need to take a trip to Wellington or Auckland or both mm. and take a, a portfolio of all your work yeah. and see if you can even just you don't even need to be there because mm. people people have art displays down here in Auckland Wellington and they're not there I feel like it'd be a good idea to go on a, even a, just on a holiday you just take a portfolio of stuff with you because mm. I go up to Wellington and Auckland every year at least once or twice and just take yeah just take a whole bunch of stuff with you and just be like, you know, go walk around and have a little mm. find Dabbly Dozy around these artists and just see what they're up to because, yeah, it doesn't hurt to get yourself up there, out there anyway, even if, you know, even if you're just getting your name in there so that the people meet you and they're like, that was interesting, even if they don't have the capacity to have you there immediately or whatever, which mm. would be real. I feel like you would be able to find some places up there. Even then you can still have the connection when you come down here mm. and then you can use them as a reference point for negotiating with other people down here you know because that's what a lot of that shit is about like from my working experience with obviously different fields you know more in the business sector but like still my experience with that stuff is like if you have the ability to draw other people in 
they can be big influences to other people in Dunedin, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <coughs> I feel like there's definitely room for expansion. Yeah. Um, I'm just not sure how to address that. Um, I do want to break sort of the – there's definitely a general consensus when it comes to art and what is good art in Dunedin. Um, and, and honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what, what that is. art means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What that is. Um, That's like the music thing as well. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and and I think more than anything, it's just understanding that what you do is good art. Like if you, if you can understand what it is that you do and you can understand the end result of what you produce and it makes sense to you, that in itself is good art. But to me, like I want to be able to produce this idea of of something that is just a bit further than what people expect and yeah. a wee bit further than what people at least in Dunedin like not to put New Zealand in a in a in a box but to, to put Dunedin specifically in a box. I feel like there's more that can be understood within our community oh, yeah. and and like we, we have a big music scene. Um, and I feel like whatever is is distributed within the music scene in is broadly accepted and and understood. But in terms of the art community, I feel like that is reasonably limited. Like there's definitely a couple of people here and there that will understand what you're doing. But generally speaking, people want to see a certain style of art. People want to see a certain style of projection and yeah. just general understanding of what a painting is um, and I feel like I can produce a certain idea but that idea is not really accepted or consumed by the wider community that we have in Dunedin so I feel like what I want to project needs to be projected in a different space mm-hmm. though I want to stay where I am because it makes sense to me and I'm able it's to create base. what I want to create yeah. here because I can and not that I couldn't in another space but you'd space, have to work harder to do I would it. have to work harder I would have to literally physically move everything that I have to a different yeah. space which is time consuming and emotionally ex- um, uh, exhausting yeah, exhausting is the word I'm looking for <laughs> But I just want people to look like I feel like what, and now I can speak in it to New Zealand as a whole. I feel like what New Zealand consumes in the art world is is more specific to the individual, which is important. But that individual is more looking at something that is relative to them on the initial side of their perspective if that makes sense like if, if, if someone from New Zealand typically is looking at a piece of art they're looking at that piece and they're trying to relate that immediate thing to them like they're looking at a, a landscape piece or a forestry piece of art whether it's photography or painting they're looking at that piece and going okay that relates to me in this way because I associate it's a your part of my life to my environment or mm. to my this, this is a place that I have been this is a place that I have seen and it is meaningful to me and that is fine that is absolutely but it's limited. fine, but it's limited, yeah, and it is. It doesn't cover a huge base, but because New Zealand is pretty separate from what the art world can offer, 
that is what people perceive art to be. Yeah. So talking to any given person, especially on, how do I say this delicately, delicately a higher end of the age spectrum. <laughs> well, typically Boomers. you are <laughs> in a specific Boomers. way. Like I, I will talk to to people of a certain age bracket or a certain demographic that will will associate art to a certain thing, and it's usually something that's sentimental. Yeah, yeah, and that makes sense, but it's it's an in a different thing. sense than what I'm trying to put forward, which is a sense of a sense of pure emotion in the given time or point of viewing the art, as opposed to a historical. Um, yeah, like a like a nostalgia nostalgic thing, you know. Like, like a not looking at something for like a whole and the yeah. layers of its whole. I but, want like my parents have recently bought a piece of artwork that is sentimental to them because one individual has been in that specific environment, environment yeah. at one given point in time and yeah. they can relate some sort of emotional thing to that painting because they've literally been in that environment. Yeah. What I want to present, and not to say that this isn't present, it's just in a very, very small demographic. Yeah. It's something that is more obscure and but something that's... that is derived, something that brings forward an emotion that is not necessarily present in someone's forethought, but something that someone can actually like, something that can bring out something yeah. within someone that, that they didn't recognize that they had. That is literal, something that yeah. is beyond more representative than... of something that exactly. they can't conceive. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For yeah. sure. But that's, yeah. I guess that's the struggle, isn't it? It's like um, it's like with any sort of visual or audio content. It's like you can people are people are people are happy to watch the Big Bang Theory or um, you know, Two and a Half Men mm. because it's providing an immediate release or an immediate like sort of relatable content, regardless of how 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 much depth it contains. Mm. Whereas if you were to show somebody like The Wire or The Sopranos, they'd be like, I'm not interested because it's going to take me 10 episodes yeah, to get into this. Yeah. It's the same thing with art appreciation and music appreciation. And like, it, not to go into the realms of douchery and be like, you know, you need to expose yourself to this to understand it. But that's the whole, that's the whole part of it, isn't it? It's like, that's the whole reason that art communities and music communities exist is because it's like anybody can conceivably look at a piece of art or a piece of music and understand it at some level but you're looking for a group of people that can understand it and also prompt you to want to create more of it because mm. you are, you feel like they understand the levels and the 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 essence of what you're trying to convey with it yeah and that's just that's unfortunately that's just like that's just because shit's finite you know that's why that's why places like New York became the hub of arts and culture and music because it's like the only way to create as many infinite um, scenarios in which people can understand art or culture is to create as fucking many of those scenarios as possible and mm. therefore you get a complex of 20 million people because you need to be able to go in every which direction and sometimes you can you can form that, you can create that anywhere. You just have to create it, Yeah, which is the most annoying part about it is especially when you're not a... You're not someone where someone who's in our 20s, you can't control that. You just have to play the game until you get to decide the game, basically. Yeah. And the key to it is to remember, is to try to remember this feeling now when you're 45. Yeah. Because you don't want to become the person. And and I feel like in the art scene, 
that is something that's actually like people who are fans of art and understand art tend to hold on to and same with music tend to hold on to that throughout their lives they just happen to be in the minority of people because it represents something more important to them than it might do to the average Joe Blow you just have to you just have to fucking try harder to find those people it's the most frustrating element of it like and they are there you just have to just have to find out where they are yeah exactly (laughs) yeah and and need to make that impression with them yeah absolutely that's why like um that's why everybody that's but that's why everybody develops you know that's why you know you go to um you might go to gigs that are when you're first starting out that you wouldn't be caught dead at now Mm. because that was your ends to developing your palate and discovering that those people exist you just have to Go through the trials and tribulations of not yeah. fucking being satiated initially because you're being frustrated because these people don't exist, and then you go out there and you're like, "Well, fuck, these people actually do exist." Like, yeah. that's why you find find places like um, obviously it's different in bigger cities; they have it too. But like places like um, like the Crown that still exists, you know, it's like that. It's the same element. It's like the people that, that own the Crown and and often. Ten gigs of the crown. They give a fuck about it because they give a fuck about it because they feel it's important, important to their being. But you wouldn't see anybody under twenty going there, you know. Mm. <coughs> Unless they were performing or they had a a mature perspective on like how important that element is to them, and that's why it's that's why everything's so frustrating. That's why fucking politics is so frustrating. It's because it's often like the court of people who. Have lost the element, the, the the ability to be in touch with that feeling anymore, and they just they think they are, but they're not, you know. And that's why it's that's why that's why the art world frustrate me a lot, is because it's like, you know, I go to go to some art art exhibitions and you see like photography art or like landscape art, which is like it's also it's all subjective, but it's like fuck, this piece isn't worth six, eight, ten thousand dollars, you know. Yeah. This is. This is a photo that somebody's taken of an inlet that I see every day or I grew up around, you know, like yeah. it has a nostalgic value to me, but it's like but you people actually, in New Zealand want to see that in their But house. do they? They do. But I the think people I, see something like that. They see a photograph, they but see is a it, painting of something that they they resemble to something that is sentimental to them and they want to have that in their home. They want to see that thing or is every that, day. Or is that all that's introduced into their social circle because that's the element of artistic expression that has continued because the frustration of not being able to relate anything obscure or more abstract or more deep than that has just rotted their way their confidence to, to create anything else that's that's yeah. that's like I the agree. essence of commerciality right like, i mean that that is the truth of it you know <laughs> we, we haven't been so subjected to art that is perhaps present in a city like new york like what we speak about you know like art is more like i think the general concept of what art is in new zealand is more derived around the fact about that nostalgia aspect it's like what can i physically relate something to yeah this is the place i've been but this is, is the place i've is that going to exist anymore though that's my question. That's my 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 sort of well, that's, optimism. That's the hope, right? Yeah, well, that's the optimism for it, isn't it? It's like the the future doesn't need to be those elements anymore mm. because we recognise those elements exist in from a bygone era, from a from a perspective of people that they want 
nostalgia. They want comfort. They want nostalgia. And that's probably going to come around as well in some elements in the future. But what does that look like? Mm. It doesn't look like rural New Zealand anymore. I don't feel like it's going to look like that anymore. It might in some locations or some sort of um, aspects of society. But our generation and the generations are coming in front of us. That's not going to be the representation of their mm. New Zealand. Like, I like to think that because of like the, the global interaction that's happening is that like pieces like this, they they'll only they'll only exceed in value. You know, like it whether it's monetary value, which doesn't really matter in the long run, or actual like sentimental value. You know, like the same sentiment that you think is applied to a landscape f- picture could be. To, to me, like 40 years from now, what would happen if I saw that in, in, in an op shop or at a gallery? And I was like, fuck, I remember seeing that when I was young and like that's that's sentiment to me. That's mm. that's nostalgia. So I don't think it has to be the same way. It just, it's going to suck until it is a different way. Yeah. That's kind of just how it is, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. It's just fucking frustrating because that's just how it is. Yeah. The same yeah. way as like, you know, <clears throat> home ownership nowadays. It's like obviously... I personally believe that there's, excuse me, a lot more that could be done for everybody in New Zealand to live better lifestyles and live more fulfilling lifestyles and live uh, in a more interactively successful society that should be done right now. But it's probably not going to be done right now. And we're, unfortunately, we can make the difference now if we really all got our boots on and fucking tried. But the way that the world tracks and the way we look at history is that it doesn't happen now. Mm. It doesn't happen until we're in our 40s or 50s. And by that point, we might just be burnt out from fucking suffering through all the bullshit yeah. to that point, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <coughs> but I don't like to think that way because, fuck it, like, you know, materials aren't everything anyway. I mean, we've uh, I can say that because I got them, but... Yeah. Yeah, I believe in that too, but there's also a point of needing a roof over your head. You know, mm. this is a point of getting to a place in life where you need to have a house of your own. You need to have something that's relative to you. Well, I'm personally getting to the point where, like, if there weren't so many external aspects to politics, like if there weren't so many optics sides of things, like having to look the right way or be from a particular culture or be subservient to every single social group and I don't mean that in a, ne- in a negative way or in a like a, I don't believe that certain groups should have their say because I do but if there was the ability of human beings now to just ignore the face of what's being presented to them and understand the core values of what people are what people need in New Zealand and all the shit that's going wrong and put all that aside put identity politics aside then I'd get into politics and like on a serious level, like on an actual would consider attempting to be in an, in the local electorate or at the parliamentary level and as I got older. But I just can't deal with that other element of it, like the the just frustrating you have to look this way or you have to be considering every group at every point and if you don't, then all of a sudden that's a mark against your name, you know, like I understand that sometimes there's a lot of biases that politicians have inherently, but I don't think it's a negative trait of all of them that they're not always considering every group all the time. 
There's no human being that's ever existed. Even like people like Mahatma Gandhi, they had their flaws. Fucking Florence Nightingale had their flaws. Mother Teresa had their flaws. People have flaws. That's why they're human beings, and that's why you shouldn't idolize politicians. You know, mm. and if we could separate from that and actually make some change for New Zealand, that sounds broad and generic, and people are like, "Them's fucking yammering on," <laughs> but. We have so much knowledge of all the shit that's going wrong in New Zealand from a basic level that's not ideologically based at all, you know? Mm. Homelessness is not an ideology thing. That's not a left-wing or a right-wing thing. That's not a thing at all. Income inequality is not a left-wing or a right-wing thing at all. That's These are basic. Education, healthcare, they're so basic. Like, they're the fact that you, if you have one view on it, you're left-wing, you have another view on it, you're right-wing, is... Completely fucked, you know, in the same way that the whole coronavirus thing became politicized. It's a disease. It's a fucking airborne disease that nobody had any control over, yet the first thing people did was blame this political group, blame that political group. You know, left-wingers want us to wear our masks. Fuck that. It's all about personal liberty, you know. Right-wingers are going to infect us all, yada, yada. It's like, that's, we seriously need to fix some shit ASAP or we won't. We won't even be able to be the people who are fat cats in our 40s and 50s and get mm. to change shit. Like, that's how bad it's actually going to get in the next 20, fucking 10 years. Like, it's pretty gnarly shit, you know? When you think about the actual state of the globe and the shit that's immediately important, you know, like, our world war isn't a world war. It's like a war for the world. Yeah. Because it's literally like a the consumerism that we've all been brought up on is going to fucking end the world. Like, it's... It's pretty intense, and lots of people don't want to deal with it, and that's why it hasn't been dealt with. Yeah, but that's kind of the truth of the whole matter, really, isn't I it? I think a lot of people are looking at their own lives as something that is short-lived in the grand scheme of things, and are living life to the fullest. Like, yeah, there's another age of 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 of, um, of people that can deal with it. What do you call it? Uh, somethingism. There's something. There's a word for it. consumerism. No, um, hedonism. Right. Yeah, well, hundred percent. But it's in a different way, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a live through your phone, live through representing what you have. Mm. It's like a post on your Instagram story, have fucking ten Instagram stories every day yeah. to ignore all these issues. Like, obviously, that's s- simplifying in a lot of ways. But I just find it really, I just find it really strange how like some of the things that would have outraged, like seriously outraged the world, like seriously caused conflict from a moral perspective are just they're just gone they're just fully like they're not really nobody nobody feels like capital whether it's capitalism or desire for money or desire for comfort have just completely swept away people's morals for what's what is actually fucked up in the world you know like organ harvesting if the in china concentration camps of uyghur muslims in in china like that's the shit that started wars, mm. that fully started wars, like, less than 30 years ago. It's just, like, we don't care anymore. Like, we all know that we're – it's almost like we're being raised on this, like, just negativity that the world is just heading into this tailspin. It's like, get it while it lasts. Fucking some of you are going to have kids because you're not thinking about it because it's, like, a biological imperative to have kids. Some of you aren't having kids because you're fucking frightened of having children because you don't want to leave them in the world that we're going to give them, you know? Like, Well, that's, that's, that's a lot grim. of what parenting looks like at the moment is, is, is not 
bringing oh Jesus bringing kids into the world because you don't want to see how their lives well, live I, out I, in the world that is inevitable. That's fully why I like you know I I mean obviously I'm not in like a committed long term relationship or anything, but like fuck, that's definitely driving my thought process mm. on a lot of things. Like I don't I wouldn't want to put a child in the world where like their education has that's something that's really fascinating to me is like how is the early development of a whole bunch like millions hundreds of millions of people on the planet that had a uh, what they thought was a pretty solid concept of their upbringing say from five to eight years old and then all of a sudden this fucking pandemic thing happens where you're just inside and away from your friends and all these fucking norms in society change within a year mm. and then you got to live the rest of your life after that like that's it fucks people up like that's that's what led to a lot of the problems that the world had now from like the Great Depression. You know, so many people survived the Great Depression. So many people didn't. And the people that survived, a lot of the motivation that drove the rest of their life was, I'm never going to be poor again, or I'm never going to be reliant on money again, or I'm never going to let my family no longer have these possessions again. And that drove fucking 50 years of consumerism, you know, like what is the next 20 or 30 years going to be like if these people are having like interruptions of this kind for the future? You know, it's like these crazy as climate events. They're fucking nuts. They had 40, they had 35 degree temperatures in the Arctic Circle. That was the most they'd ever, they had a 24 degree day in Antarctica. Like that's fucking insane. That's a summer day in Dunedin. Mm. Like that's, that's fucking nuts. Like the fact that it's just sort of like, oh, that's sad. And then the 15-minute news cycle was just on to something else. It's well, like, that's it, right. That's what the news essentially is. It's like, here's the information, you interpret it, and now it's gone. And then it's gone, yeah. You know? Unless there's something that's absolutely detrimental detrimental to the individual at any given time, no one's really But even the things that are detrimental to the individual, like that, that is detrimental to an individual. It's just... But no one interprets In the long game, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 just, it's just like it's not... It's not taking food out of your mouth. Yeah. It's not like it's not punching you in the face when you open the door to go to work. Like it's, but it's going to. Mm. It's going to. It's like you know. It's. it's I think people are just they're just being bombarded with it. Yeah. They've just been bombarded with, it and it's like, you know, do you catch more more flies with you know what what's the what's the saying? You catch more f- flies with sugar than with vinegar or some shit like that you know it's like to give them more like sweet uplifting news like we yeah. can do like i almost feel like there needs to be an alternative that does that you know like i know a lot of people are trying like this is uplifting like people are going out and doing this but some motherfucking billionaire somebody needs to find a way to make money out of making people happy and not Je- out of making Jeff people Bezos miserable stop sending spaceships into space well, fuck and that. put money into the fucking into like into into like integrity, but like but that dude doesn't give a fuck. Fuck that guy, you know. Honestly, yeah. fuck all of that shit. Uh, it's 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 doing too much with something that's already there. Well, it's yeah. like um I will we'll probably end this soon, but I highly um out of interest, out of interest, a really 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 good case study of what I saw, of like what you can get away with if you're a billionaire. <laughs> Look up Richard Branson's interview with Conan O'Brien in like the early, it's either the late 90s or the early 2000s, right? And um, Selma Hayek is the other guest. So this is when Selma Hayek is like 
this she's, she's in her prime. You know, she's a very attractive lady. This dude's got billions of dollars. He's like borderline coked out, or he's just on that like billionaire like euphoria where he's like, I've just won. I've won the game. It doesn't even fucking matter anymore. He's just like he's fully just groping her the whole interview, mm. and he's like, it's fucking, it's fully like if he did it now, he's done. He's yeah. he's Weinstein. He's he's finished. You know, and those guys they have so much money, like. They have so much money that it doesn't matter. Like it fully doesn't even matter, you know? They, they can just go into space now and just fuck they can just fuck off up there for a couple hundred mil cost them, you know, a couple billion, whatever. They come back down. What do they do? What what did Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson really do the other mm. couple of days, you know? It's fucking it's cooked shit. It's really cooked shit. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, this is funny when you look at someone like Jeff Bezos and you know, you get to that point in life when you've you've made so much money and you you want to invest in like if it if it's your passion and you want to invest in space, sweet, make a rocket ship, send that, send that shit up, see what the fuck happens. But look at like look at like your wealth, D- dude is the wealthiest man on the planet. Yeah, that's a fact now. Like he is the wealthiest man on this planet, the wealthiest <laughs> known man. I yeah. Say, uh, yeah, on the planet. Yeah. And he's sending metal up into space. You know, like I don't want to. Op- I don't want this to open up a wormhole. But it's like, you know, <laughs> too late, brother. You're doing. You're doing something that's already being done. How much? Oh God, <laughs> this is a huge wormhole. I yeah. do want to get into something like this, but you know, we can keep it you brief. Know, you, we can you, cut a whole bunch of shit out of this anyway. <laughs> You're sending stuff into space that, like, someone is already doing. Do you have to do this now? With the trillions, trillions yeah. of dollars that you have, can that not be put into something else? Yeah. Like, the amount of shit that's going down in America that you be putting your money towards, like, homelessness or fucking... I don't give a fuck. It doesn't make them richer. I don't have the ideas on top of my head, but... You no, know, I know what you mean, though. That can be that's the stuff... The that's the whole has. reason, though. The whole incentive... The whole... The whole purpose of America was incentivize people to get rich. Yeah. And once you get rich, the whole incentive is to keep other people poor, to yeah. keep other people poorer than you. That's the whole problem with the United States. Poor people idolize rich people because that's where they want to be so that they're no longer poor. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like I want to be rich so that I can, like in some cases it definitely is, but in lots of the majority of cases, it's not like I want to be rich so that I can lift all these other people up. It's I want to be rich so that I can fucking fire all the people that swirled me in the toilets or lock me in a locker. I want to be able to fuck their wives yeah. and make them lose their jobs. Like that's that's what the United States was built on, you know? Yeah. And uh, like it's fucked up. It's fully fucked up. And the the United States is just like a social experiment just gone off in so many different tangents you know yeah and the the the, the weird reality of someone like jeff, jeff bezos is that who in the hell needs that much money mm. no one needs that much money no we know who the real even even to like define who your family is or like like bring your family like a decent upbringing how many generations it's like a thousand generations, generations is that going to cover like that's insane until like, the world ends and you want to send shit into space like yeah sweet bro that really helps everyone 
You know what's fucked about it, man, is, you know how people always, like, they talk about lizard people? You know, they talk about, like, a cabal of lizard people that are ruling the world. You know who the real lizard people are? The people around Jeff Bezos. Yeah. The people who are, like, just, have just echo-chambered him to the top. Yeah. Like, can you imagine the insincerity on the people that are dealing with him every day? His, like, the servants in his house, his wife, his yeah. friends, like, there's no way that they could truly admire him they'd be in fear of him they'd be like it'd be fucked it'd be fully fucked i i don't actually understand how a lot of these people like don't commit suicide like i know it sounds intense but like the feeling of isolation that you must have like i know you got millions and trillions of dollars but there's no way that jeff bezos isn't aware of how many people hate his guts like there's there's no way there's no way that he wouldn't know that like same with Elon Musk. There's a whole fucking sphere of people that are fully against what he's doing. Like, no, no, vocally. Oh, absolutely. Vocally, no one's going like, yeah, boy, <laughs> but fucking Martian. But there is though. There is though. That's the sad thing. Is there's so many people that all he would have had to do is add it. He just he gets a pen and just adds an extra zero to their salary. You know, he goes. That might be like, oh, uh, you know, really tentatively, Mr. Bezos. I don't think we should spend five hundred million dollars on this. He's like, "Oh, how much is your sell? Oh, just you want you want another million dollars every year? Oh, sweet man, I'll just add an extra zero. And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, actually now nah, fuck that shit, bro. You seen that metal cock rocket up into the air, brother? You know, honestly, Jesus Christ, Jesus, that's the sad reality, isn't it? Anyway, fuck, we've wrapped this up." Yeah, we've been talking. You know, we've been talking for uh, almost three and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, that's what I love. I wanted this. <laughs> I wanted this fucking. Long. We got. We got. Uh, we got a. Sh- we got a really big shoe. Really big. That's been good. Thanks yeah. for coming here, man. Yep. This is fun. Chabada. This is what I want to do. This is the kind of podcast that is fun for me. I'm fucking drunk. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking wasted. today. Eh? This is like definitely. We've had some drinks before. We've we've we've, we've done some shit on this. From but. day one, I've been like, I want to have some drinks on the <laughs> and we've finally done it. I feel like yeah, this has been good. This is that good. is that hole there? Is that where the telly used to be? Yeah, I used to have that curtain on some some wall that I built, and I'd put the TV there, and there's a big hole. I just figured out there because yeah. I was looking there. I was like, there used to be a telly there. That's super inviting. Yeah. Important. Inviting. Inviting. <laughs> it's like a glory hole, but in a curtain. Just really high up. It's like it's a glory. Really it's like a glory hole for like a seven you foot man. There, you get the pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Cool, man. Signing out. Thanks for coming here. All right. I love you. Love you too, brother. Good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Show for artists of all kinds. Sit down and relax. Enjoy the music.